Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, this is My Good Bad Brain. It's a podcast about mental health and being a person, very specifically through the lens of my, Jared Sleeper's Good Bad Brain. If you dig the podcast, check us out at patreon.com slash mygoodbadbrain if you'd like to support us there. Uh, another way you could support us is just leaving nice reviews and sharing, telling your friends, whatever. All right, that's it. Let's hang out. Theme music. Welcome to my good bad brain I'm a normal person so I'm insane I've got depression and ADHD but I'm doing better since I medicated me I'm still not always sure whether I exist or what being a person even really is but I figured out a long time ago that being alive is Hey guys, and gals, and Martians, and what whatnot, you know, other, you know, days and thems and stuff. Okay, this episode of the podcast is interesting. Uh, obviously, this, uh, this is a very personal podcast, and I increase my transparency all the time. My guest today is Kevin Abrams, who's a wonderful producer and creative in his own right. Talks about a book that he's working on and stuff in this uh, a bit. And I met him at a crazy, wacky time in my life. We worked together in different capacities. First, I was an actor in something he worked on. And then I was a little bit more of a, a writer under him, collaborator, when I was working with Black Box TV a lot uh, with Tony uh, Valenzuela. And, you know, I was just a crazy time for a lot of people. It was a darker time in my life. I was not medicated. I wasn't doing a lot of therapy. And um, had intense relationships all, all over the place. And uh, I hadn't talked to Kevin in a long time. And then we got in touch again through like Instagram and ended up grabbing coffee a few months ago and touching base just on a personal level. And Kevin is someone who, like a lot of the people, I suppose I end up asking to come beyond this, uh, someone I feel very a lot of similarity with. And uh, I talk about that pretty openly in this thing at some point points and uh when i talked to him i found out that the over the last year he uh we, we don't go into specifics about it i don't ask him to divulge what he was going through but he had some life-threatening illnesses and and was uh really facing mortality and i was like damn would you like to speak about that uh would you be interested in being a guest on my podcast maybe and he said yeah then and we played a little tag about the dates and figuring it out and there were some cancellations and da 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 Long story short, we made it happen. We got together. And the jumping off point was that. I said, well, this is, and you'll hear me repeat this again in the intro when we're talking, 
I was thinking of talking to you about facing mortality and that kind of idea, things you've learned from that perspective. And as we talk, I think maybe one of the strengths of this podcast is the kind of like sense of knowing and discovery, uh, I guess, hearing two people talk sometimes and learn about each other because we know we're engaging in this shell of this podcast conversation on mental health and being a person. We're going to ask like real questions and dark questions and get real, real fast intimate, you know, honest. It's, it's like vulnerable for people to do this. And I super fucking honored that they do. And sometimes I'm really getting to know people in the thing and learning things for real. Even with my closest friends, there's an episode I did near the beginning with Miles Thompson, my best and closest friends in the world. And I learned things in that conversation that I never knew about him, you know? And, uh, with Kevin, that's extra true. And I, and I think the way the conversation goes, I think we both have struggled with codependency and lack of boundaries and making excuses for ourselves and our behavior that we might otherwise not want to look at or, or feel not very proud of and whatnot. And I don't know, I'm speaking for myself here predominantly, but I think I feel comfortable saying, Kevin, we resonate with each other on a lot of these and we talk openly about it. And uh, the subject I think that we come to, which I think is related to facing mortality to a certain degree, like a certain degree, like certainly to a degree, um, is can people change? Uh, One thing we touch on a bit is, especially in loving relationships or love relationships, uh, we, we both have had our struggles and some of them are quite parallel. And he knew me, I, I've been on and off with my partner for eight, eight, almost nine years, <clears throat> very on and off, very off sometimes dated other people. We've dated other people, both of us and things like that, but always had this connection and very tumultuous and we've learned a lot and I'm not going to, you know, it, I divulge a little bit and I do my best to speak from my perspective and my half of a conversation and my, what I am feel comfortable speaking about without crossing the boundaries of my loved one, my most loved one, you know? So in that, the question of can people change? Do people change? Can I change? Can our ways of relating with other people change? Especially in a culture that seems to have a real policy of good vibes only, cut toxic people out of your life, cancellation, whatever. Well, I think it makes it uncomfortable sometimes to turn that idea and go, is there something in this interaction that I'm saying toxic and this person is toxic? I have a toxic relationship with them. What am I doing with that? And the things that want me to stay or keep me coming back to this person, are they pathological? (laughs) Are they a bad pattern? Are they toxic? Should I cut this out and just move on and do something new? Or is conflict resolution something I need to learn? Is communication and honesty, 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 reflection, taking responsibility, making choices, are those important things to consider? These are difficult things to do in reality, especially when we have such muddied and mixed up feelings about them that we're you know, able to talk ourselves into anything. How do we know when we're genuinely trying to work on something and get better with someone else who's 
genuinely trying to work on it with us? And how do we know when we're trapped in that cycle of codependency, of argument? Sometimes I think we continue arguing with someone and staying in those horrible, toxic things because the aggression, which I think I say this in this thing, I'm going to shut up because I'm just going to let this thing speak for itself. It's a long conversation. But sometimes the aggression and anger and the we're sorting this out no this is good this is good we're working this out oh yes 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 i love having this talk the the drama we're doing the work sometimes that can substitute for the intimacy that you don't get to have in sweet and fun and truly nurturing and nourishing ways you just get trapped in that cycle that aggression and it's so close it's so fighty it feels so important it always feels like you're just a few inches away from breaking through in this relationship really being fucking good and like I said, Kevin knew me in a dark time. I was right on the verge of finally having to fucking face a lot of things and try to work on myself. I want to be a better person who could enjoy my life better and show up that way, but also who could be better to the people I loved and not just keep doing my shitty patterns of my things that I do think are toxic. So that's kind of the question that we get to that I really came away with. This is, of course, a pretty... Very good, bad, brainy talk. Very long. This one's longer than they've been lately. I've been trying to, you know, cut them down. But I don't I don't really know how to do that other than limit it in the moment. But this one looks like it's two fucking hours. And you may get something out of it. You may not. That's the nature of these things. I think sometimes maybe it's nice to just have people around talking and listening in. And that's really what this one is for sure. Me and Kevin just talking. Kevin... Man, I can't remember if I said this on mic or or off, but I think on. He just feels like a weird, like, soul brother to me. I see in him similar, I think the best version of myself that I would like to believe in, I see in, in him. Somebody passionate and creative and sensitive and uh, intelligent but knows it and struggling with that knowledge that he is both wonderful and human at the same time that he has his limitations and his, in that human sense, this, this oddity that all of us have something very divine and infinite in us and also very small and animal and the negotiation between those two factors And it inspires me to meet somebody else who, for whatever reason, we are tethered in some unknowable way that we don't hang out all the time. We don't know each other that well. But at least for me, whenever I have known him, I see so much of myself in him. And I see this chance to learn, to both be validated and educated about ways to go through the world. And so, and this is very egocentric and very arrogant, and I hope he appreciates that if he listens back to this, that I'm saying this, but it was a great selfish boon to me to speak to my soul brother, this reflection from a totally different life, and to feel more possible to talk about these conversations uh, 
literally talking about the conversations, but to talk about these things, these ideas, can we change? Can life change us? Can we face a big thing like mortality and come away new and better? Can we forgive ourselves and the people around us to afford us an opportunity to be new? I think we can. And it was interesting because he turned that this interview on me, which I, it always is, right? He goes at some point, can I ask you questions? Is this about you too? And I'm like, of course, of course. It is a conversation. And we basically get down to that. You think people can change? And when I think back on what we talked about, because quite frankly, I don't always remember all the things we talk about. We're just talking, you know? I gotta, I, I, I've decided to try not to control that narrative a long time ago. Keep that transparency because it seems like a strength of this project. I think he just, he asked me that, you know? Do I think people can change? Do we think it's really possible? I just knew the answer is yes. Because look at us. Look at us able to talk and be different and feel different. Make different choices. Be different people. Be the people that we wish we were. If you, bec- if you act like the person you wish you were long enough, eventually that's who you are. You know? That question I always struggled with. Are you who you are inside? Are you who you feel like you are? Or are you who you are in your actions? Of course, the real answer is both. Kind of the only one that matters, I think, is who you are in your actions. Ultimately, it's odd because just the person you are internally can be its own action. People can receive the idea of you and that has a real effect out in the world that is practical, which becomes an action. And I think that's why it's so hard when that's betrayed by somebody's actions and you go, wait, I thought they weren't. Maybe they're not. That idea was still real and that's valid and you can take that. But I think it's important for us, I will say at least for myself and I'm, you know, to walk our talk. Walk it like I talk it, you know? to be the person that we think we are and that we wish we were. All right, I'm going to shut up now and we'll just let this thing go. I hope you enjoy this conversation with this wonderful man, Kevin Abrams. Which is a little bit of what yeah, we wanted to exactly. talk about. Yeah, well, so... Yeah, I, I, um, one thing I've been thinking about as we've been sitting here even since before when I, I always like, for people listening, I always talk to whoever I'm going to talk to about my thought about where my jumping off point is going to be before we start. But while we're sitting here, I realized too, there's like definitely a selfish aspect of my good bad brain, which is especially people that I talk to or I'm talking to, I, I often people I see some reflection in and I want to selfishly like understand myself more and I see similarities in these other people which kind of you can find in anybody I suppose I think every human will find commonalities with other humans if you just start talking but with you in particular there's so many feeling tone similarities to me that just getting to talk to you I feel like maybe I'll learn more about myself and then uh 
Well, thank you, sir. Oh, well. I love being I don't know about that. That's dubious (laughs) because I don't know if I'm like the best person. But then the other thing was we talked, uh, we met up like a month or two ago and talked for a bit. We hadn't talked in a while and I found out that you had gone through this illness and really were staring down the barrel of real mortality. Mm -hmm. And um, you seem to have learned some new things in that and I was like well fuck you gotta come tell the world you gotta tell this little yeah, weird community no, of good bad was, brains it, it was a, a funny little thing you know as you edge into your 40s reality finds a way to creep into so much of what you inevitably do whether it's like the acceptance of the transience natures of work relationships work partners romance all that type of stuff and you just understand that like life is very fluid and fleeting And what supported a lot of that discovery last year for me is I got diagnosed with some medical stuff that, you know, one of them in particular didn't have a great mortality rate. The other one was in the early phases of what could have led to not a good mortality rate. Mm. (laughs) And it made me begin to really reevaluate why I'm here, what I was doing, and most importantly, how I was contributing to it. The funniest thing about it was like, I'm such a product of storytelling that you're just like, you get this information and you expect it to play out on this life-changing, like, oh, my God, that was a lightning bolt way. Mm -hmm. And it was not that at all. I lived in a lot of denial initially for it, with it. And then slowly but surely over time, it began to sort of, like, root and being like, oh, my God, this could be what I have left. I need to to make changes. Mm -hmm. And that's what sort of triggered this whole investigation into me dealing with a lot of neuroplasticity issues, dealing with a lot of physical plasticity issues, dealing with basically how I began to approach my life and my day and, Does and that the mean, toxicity you mean that I brought into it. Plasticity meaning like uh, ability to learn new things? Is that Ability to learn new things, but also for me it was more the ability to not allow myself to stay in habits that weren't fulfilling. Uh-huh. So, you know, there's a lot of theories about how we learn over our lives as human beings and what the brain's capable of and emotionally capable of. One of the things in my research that kept popping up was this notion of us really having the initial tendency through our early childhood into young adultness to create bad habits. Mm -hmm. And it is an extension of our fight or flight sort of reaction to life. Information gets thrown at us. We're learning how to deal with it. Usually when you deal with that initial information, you're creating a patterning that has to deal with not great reaction or not very conscious understanding of what you're doing. First of all, you don't know yourself that well, so you're right. learning who you are. And then secondly, you don't have the ability to sort of work through something that in a lot of ways should be a work in progress. Like mm-hmm. we're human beings, the first time somebody breaks your heart, like nobody prepares you for that. Right. But if you had the opportunity to prepare yourself for that, it'd be a much more manageable thing. I think that's true. And that just made me think of something. I remember like, <clears throat> Um, when, uh, the first time, like my heart really broke, I was, uh, I felt like sort of embarrassed to be Mm -hmm. like, oh, this is like when my grandpa died Yeah, and it felt embarrassing to compare like a breakup Mm -hmm. to something real, quote unquote, like, like the death of somebody who was very close to you and you loved. Mm -hmm. But I really was like, I don't know. That's just, it feels the same. Like it feels, and, um, and that, yeah, you never, no one ever tells you that or yeah. talks about that or makes mm-hmm. that feel normal. And more importantly, like your reaction to that is completely unfettered. So intuitively, based on what you've also cu- accumulated reaction wise to how you deal with things, you're then applying that to that situation. So if you yeah. develop like this fight or flight technique or this habit of 
internalizing this type of stuff, turning off, drinking, getting aggressive, whatever ends up being, moments like that just amplify it. Yeah. So we're not really doing a great job of like objectively examining why we're feeling this way and what we can do to actually do a better version of digesting this information. So over time, I just felt like that type of behavior led to a lot of really bad patternings, you know? Being early 40s, not married, don't have kids, it's like, oh my God, what am I doing to contribute to this? I can either say one of two things, I'm doing nothing, or I am, if I want to change that dialogue, what can I start doing to sort of actualize the truth that I'm after instead mm-hmm. of reinforcing the denial that I've been really accustomed to setting? Yeah. So it was just looking at that and saying like, okay, shit, yo, it's like time is fleeting. What can you fucking do to change it? And my whole thing was like, you're saying change, change those like patterns that you were identifying as unfulfilling exactly, and toxic. Exactly. Yeah. And what can you do most importantly that you have control over? Cause like, that's the big conversation too. I feel like for yeah. a lot of people and especially with your brain, there's like, you're dealing with the internalization of like the externalization, a lot of situations of information right Mm -hmm. the outside world is throwing stuff at you you have this internal mechanism that's digesting it it's trying to make sense out of it sorry agree laundry buzz it baby um so it's taking this external information and then you're going internally to sort of like try to assess and make do with it and then that's allowing you once again to reintegrate into an external environment yeah so it's like this weird sort of like dichotomy that you have to face as um you proceed through life. So I was just like, okay, what can I do so that I have control of my internal way that actually begins to manifest itself in an externalization that feels real and authentic. One thing about that, I, I'm, I'm just, I want to throw out my experience and I'm curious to hear how you figured out around it. I find, I think changing habits, one of the reasons it's so fucking hard is like, um, basically because we're hardwired for nothing more than simple survival mm-hmm. in that our body, like our, 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 um, yeah, body systems aren't interested in our quality of experience. They're just interested that they, that experience continues completely. And, um, and that's why shit that feels good is so hard to say no to. Yeah, totally. But also <clears throat> that like, if you have habits that, like anxiety, whatever, well, okay. I was just, uh, doing some research about CTE because I, I do this other, I started doing this other podcast, my friend Zeke about combat and violence and stuff like that. And I did one about, um, uh, yeah, uh, concussions, chronic traumatic encephalopathy. And there's, um, concussions feel bad and cause like a lot of depression in people. Um, even to the point of like suicidal ideation yeah. and, like kind of the reason for that is because once your brain receives a concussion, if you get another one right after it, um, it's really much worse. It, it mm-hmm. makes it, you know, so your body basically has this amazing way of creating symptoms that will encourage you to not do anything. Mm-hmm. So like if you get a head trauma and your body makes you depressed, so you can't leave the house and you don't, you can't even think of good reasons to be alive. That's actually a very effective way to keep you put so you don't. And so like, yo dude, I'm not letting yeah. you feel like you can go off this cliff again. And so it may, the body may fuck up and take it too far where some people actually do harm themselves. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting to note that like your body doesn't give a fuck if you feel well or content or happy even all it cares about is that you keep respirating and your heart keeps beating yeah. and we prevent more physical injury to the system. So I really think habits that we have is like any change to the system, our body interprets as a potential threat. Like it's a new, um, it's a new factor in our 
ways of going out in the world. And all our body knows is that whatever we're doing right now is I'm not getting eaten by an animal mm-hmm. and I'm not sick and I'm not dying. Mm-hmm. So let's just not change anything. Yeah. So, yeah. So how do you, anyway, I think that's just to give credit to like when people are having a lot of difficulty changing their habits and they just can't figure out why they can't do it. And then we get down on ourselves because you're like, oh, my and, willpower and that was is weak. Like and- the other thing that like was the big lesson, and it still is. I mean, every day your, your ambition is always going to, I mean, at least in my case, I can't speak for everybody. Your ambition is going to ex- exceed usually what you're capable of on a 24-hour period. Yeah. I think so it's like I want to do A, B, and C. I got halfway through A. B and C ain't happening today. Do I make myself feel shitty about it? Right. Very easy to say yes, but then that's also a habit. Yes, of course you do, because how else am I going to be motivated? <laughs> but that's also a really bad habit, too, that terrible. I became it's very terrible. cognizant of. And me in particular, I've been raised under the premise of, you know, I had an encouraging, opportunistic-filled childhood. Like, mm. everybody was like, you're capable of doing anything. Yes. And I'm white, and I was upper middle class. So for the most part, like, there was nothing obstructing it. And over time, I started feeling really guilty about not living up to that. Yes. Like, promise of potential yes and everything was imbued with guilt so i would I feel totally more sometime that. about violating my intention right than about like the achievements that came along the way um Dude, yeah i i feel like i grew this strange resentment about the idea that i had so much potential and then wrong. and it was a combination it was this parallel guilt and resentment are like right next to each other you start mm-hmm. feeling guilty then you resent that you feel guilty and blah blah and i a hundred percent identify with that where you're like, I know, I remember I, I, one of my first therapists I went to, uh, I had a striking moment where I was talking to her and I was just frustrated. I was like, I don't know why I'm here. I don't have any real problems. And I said that because I know that I'm smart and I'm a white male in this society and I, I, I get it and, and all this stuff. And it, and I was just went on about like, you know, I don't, I don't have any real problems. It's just, uh, some, it's just really hard to just breathe and be alive most days. <laughs> and she was like, that's a real problem. And I just started crying because it was like the first time. And I think that's part of in changing too, or changing habits that don't feel good. I do think we fuck ourselves up a lot by not even kind of like, kind of like the heartbreak thing and being like, Oh, it's so shallow that I'm saying this breakup feels like my grandpa dying. Mm-hmm. And so how much do you put off actually feeling what you feel and going like, no, this feels like something died. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you put off feeling? No, I feel horrible every day and that's a real problem. I need to change so I can do anything mm-hmm. by convincing yourself. It's not a real problem. You shouldn't even feel it. You're weak, whatever. Uh, I've been thinking about that a lot, just about honesty in general, yeah. especially over the last year and with this podcast and other things about like just behaving from a place of truth for myself, even if that is problematic or whatever, because how else am I going to be honestly change or honestly and learn. So how else are you going to differentiate like for yourself what's legitimate and what's not? Like that to me like is sort of like the core tenet that I eventually yeah. stumbled on. It's like you are incapable of sort of like addressing what your truth or your want is if you keep sort of circling it or covering it up with all this other bullshit. Yeah. Oh, and it happens yeah. with it happens with everything. It happens with you coming up with the excuse to your friend while you're 45 minutes late to showing up. It comes back with, yeah. I don't really want to deal with these emails right now. I'm going to push it off for three to four days. It comes back with, I don't want to like talk to your mother because of such and such. A, like there's a thousand and one reasons that it comes back to, but at the core essence, it's like you're creating a denial and sort of like system of like fog and mirage. So you don't have to deal with like what specifically is underneath it. Yeah. And what's interesting is, like, my greatest 
things that I've been trying to do too is sort of like what you're saying is try to find as much like honesty and truth in things. Yeah. And I've become really annoying, I'm sure, to a lot of people because of it, because I over-disclose right now. Mm. I over-declare. It's creating sanity for me because then I don't have to be <laughs> yeah. like, hey, yeah, I'll show up at that party, blah, 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 blah. I'll be like, listen, dude, I so want to go to that party, but I got to be honest with you. Like, I'm not in a great state right now. I don't think it's going to be the best. And they're just like, okay. Yeah. Or, oh, nobody asked, bro. Yeah. You know? Or it's like, get it. I get that maybe that's way too much information for you. As I'm getting better at honing myself, yeah. it seems to be a necessary extension for me to get better at shortening the distance between those two points. Mm-hmm. But what's interesting is also that people respond really weirdly to it. Like they, I never realized how much people have trouble with taking people at their word Mm -hmm. (laughs) and and how that's such like a bizarre disconnect presently in this world. Like if you get into a fight with somebody and you're like, yeah, dude, I really wasn't upset about it. I was just asking a question their baggage and what they bring to it is completely different. And I'm just operating from a place right now. It's like, no, what I said was literal. Like, yeah, we, it's cool. Like no big deal. Like, don't worry about it. There's and, a, um, this book series. I really love this like sci-fi fantasy series called heroes die is the first one. And there's a, in the third or fourth book in it, it, there's a character called the horse, Witch who mm-hmm. shows up and it's like affected my life a lot. I feel like, and you end up finding out that the horse, Witch is has nothing to do with horses and is not a witch. She's like this deity that represents, um, uh, forgiveness and permission and uh i love that it's beautiful it's really and it's forgiveness for every bad thing that ever happened to you Mm -hmm. and permission to be who you are and there's this part where she talks about most people when they say she's like because she's getting a conflict this other person is like thinks that she's speaking in coded language like Mm -hmm. she's like that's fine or whatever and and there's this thing that really struck me is like no you're used to a world where people talking codes and tactics and they're fucking with you and all Mm -hmm. these things. And she's like, you have to get used to the fact that with me, when I say something, that's just what I mean. Yeah. And it is jarring if you start doing that or me, it is a blessing. Ultimately, it's so magical Mm -hmm. when you just, there's this um, old thing, like this legendary thing. I don't know what, I think it was like a Celtic thing or whatever, but that, um, and I read in some other book, it was, I don't know, whatever the point is, that there's like this idea of an ancient language that if you know the true name of a thing, you mm-hmm. control it, you have mm-hmm. power over it. Mm-hmm. So if you knew the true ancient word for like water or a rock, and then just, just with that which word. Which is crazy because we have power over absolutely nothing. <laughs> yeah, but there is something really beautiful in that metaphor, this idea that like if you can speak from truth and honesty and just name the thing that you're experiencing, mm-hmm. it is like this in almost magical feeling of power now to face it yeah you know people are i think we're very good we're very bad at fear we're very bad at dealing with unknowns Mm -hmm. and uh i think that's a hard lesson to learn especially like relationships when you start to learn dishonesty to avoid conflict I mean, that's like one of the i mean talk about the biggest fundamental programming shift that i've had to work on is like that honesty and relationship honesty and relationships intention and relationships like do you find that you would like i'm speaking i'm projecting myself Mm -hmm. that i would um I convinced myself that truth was so malleable that like I would I would speak in a way that got to the essential truth of a thing. Mm-hmm. So that might the easiest way to translate that is in instead of saying like yeah we had a fling but it was not a big deal to me and I'm not gonna cheat on you and I'm yeah. I would just say no there's nothing there never was anything there never is gonna be anything nothing. or like yeah Do you know what I mean and yeah completely or like you know insidious things too I only say insidious because the intention is is not reflective of the truth. Like, oh, 
no, it was just a, it's just dinner. Like, I don't know why you're getting so freaked out right. about, or like, oh, we haven't spoken in forever. Like she just randomly reached out or you, it's very easy to make those waters murky. Yeah. And I've learned karmically and just through experience that every time I've given it out, I've gotten it back a thousand and one times. <laughs> and for me, the greatest conversation is like, I mean, I got to hear more about this deity because it's a lot of what I've been wrestling with and this acceptance of myself, which is a difficult thing, is like, I'm a foolish optimist. Like, mm -hmm. I believe in intuitive generosity. Like, I don't do well managing it. Mm -hmm. And as a result, it has led me down a lot of really unhealthy paths because what ends up happening, that type of stuff, if you're not getting the reward, going back to what you were saying earlier, of somebody appreciating it and showing like oh, yeah. validation in the gesture, you go harder and harder and harder. Until you get it. Until you get and it. And some people just don't. And, they, and some, they, yeah, yeah. some people don't. And for me, that was a really hard habit in what I realized that I had to sort of break. And it wasn't me changing who I was. It was me monitoring it more effectively. And it's something I still deal with yeah. everything, but it was me getting out of the habit of the expectation and return. I think, uh, okay. So this deity, this horse, witch. Uh, part of the, they call the horse witch because she's always hanging out with this herd of feral horses. Mm -hmm. And um, there's this a lot of. Were, I mean, this character sounds incredible. It's wonderful. And there's this, like, there's all this wonderful metaphor in that. But the, the one specific is when she says this thing about forgiveness for every bad thing that ever happened to you, I get choked up every time I talk about this. And it's crazy because it's like this pulpy fantasy thing. It just mm -hmm. speaks to me so intensely. The, the um, suggestion, the concept is that she's like, on some level, we as logical beings believe there must be a cause and effect to everything. Mm -hmm. So if something bad happens to you or somebody does something shitty to you, she's like, you can't help it, but understand it as punishment. Mm -hmm. And that's the horse thing It's mm -hmm. like horses are such like pure creatures that if they're whipped or abused, she's like, they assume it's because they must've done something and they'll do anything they can mm -hmm. to fix that, you know, make them happy. So they stop doing that. And I, and that the idea is she's this being who will just like allow you, who will give you the forgiveness for all the bad things that happen to you. So you can like release that idea. Mm -hmm. And that's so huge because what you were just talking about, and this has been my struggle forever, basically codependency, mm -hmm. learning how to see clearly or get better. Cause I don't think I'll ever really clearly see it where I end and someone else starts completely agree. And like you're saying, it isn't about changing what you like to do and being like, Oh, I'm never going to be generous again because mm -hmm. people take advantage. No, 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 no. It's, it's going, it's getting rid of the part of me that says, wow, it's really fucked up that they keep just taking from me and don't give me like some appreciation for what I do. It's like, no, my yeah. choice that I get to control is what I like to do. The kind of person I like to be is be nice to people yeah. or help people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't do it. Uh, you have to face it and go like, are you doing it so that someone will appreciate you? Completely. And, and, and once you realize like, no. I know. And that was like, and I've been burned so many times because of that scenario. And it's not, what took me a while to say is to actually change what you were just thinking is that approach to it. I've been burned because I had an expectation. I was imposing a will on them. So uh -huh. like you, and, oh, like I'm. Like by doing something, now I'm I'm I forcing you into this exchange. Yeah, or there's an expectation or something like that. And when I realized that I was complicit in that conversation and very much part of that energy is when I was like, okay, I got to fucking look at this because I intuitively am this version of a person. Mm -hmm. But to put this additional pressure 
on the recipient or whatever the energy goes to is obviously creating a, a dangerous dynamic because it's alienating people. And more importantly, it was making people doubt my intention and my integrity. And yeah. then as a result, you begin to doubt your intention and your integrity and it becomes sort of like the self, like, you know, feeding cycle. Because it's like, you felt like the dynamic would just be created and now other people would expect like if you did something that that meant they had to do a thing like that. Or also they would retract. They think <clears throat> that like my affection or intention came with like a price or an expectation uh-huh. and it became Do you think filled. it did? I think at times yes and at times no. Mm-hmm. I mean I think we do our best in those situations to try to manage and show love and yeah. sometimes when it becomes out of need versus out of like you know, generosity, that's a big yeah. thing to distinguish. And that's why I like how you framed it where I end and that person begins because right. like, it is very much about that conversation and knowing, and what's interesting is like how that affects people and how they begin to just take your word and how mm. you're perceived and seen. And, you know, I've had some relationships where I think people have like vilified me because they think that I'm not, that I'm agenda driven in those things or manipulative mm-hmm. where it's like, actually, no, like this, this is a thing that I think is a good in the world. Like making yeah. people happy, sharing a piece of love, doing something that's foolishly romantic is like an mm-hmm. okay thing. And my lesson was that that's okay in itself. Mm-hmm. The expectation is where things become dangerous. So that was part of the programming I had to evaluate. I really like that notion of where I end and you begin as a really interesting way yeah, to look well, at that. Yeah, when you, I think you just, we, I think, I don't know, there's a lot in common. There's similarities like of the, of the, the intertwining and the, and the habits and the idea. Well, the thing I was going to say, and, and I, I know I can use this with you because I know you've done shooting sports in the past, yeah. ironically or, or humorously or whatever. We just never know where these lessons will find us. That's another thing I tried early in life and I still try and I struggle sometimes is like to hear truth wherever it comes from. Mm-hmm. Even if I like hate the source or think the source is so fucking stupid. I think that idea from the Bible about like from the mouths of babes or whatever mm-hmm. is like, that's what that's supposed to mean. It's yeah, like, yeah. It, you know. But actually in this shooting class that I did a while ago, this like defensive handgun course, the first day was this whole long classroom day about um, about uh, basically when it's legal to defend your, you know, to understand. Yeah. So because you get a lot of fucking idiots, you Castle know, doctrine, baby. Yeah, it's crazy. And and uh, like one the one thing about that really had to do that with it had to do with that concept of where people end and where I begin. Uh <laughs> Like one thing they said was like, if, if you are in a shooting, they were like, if you have hot ears, it's murder. And if you have cold hands, it's self-defense. Oh, interesting. And that's like a shorthand version of my brain now of this whole long concept of just being like, just because somebody makes you mad or afraid does not mean you're allowed to shoot them. Yes. Uh, That, that, uh, what in the legal sense and not to get pedantic and on a side note, it's like if, a and this is so subjective, if a group of other human beings, you know, jurors will say you seemed realistically in a position where you might have been grievously harmed or killed. So it's OK. But that like that is not the same as I'm scared or I'm angry. And um, in that idea that you go like because such so much like male uh, look ways of looking at the world are like. Can you believe what she said to me? I got so fucking, you know? Yeah. And this idea or and that turns into bro, 
don't say that shit to me or I'm going to have to do violence on you. Mm -hmm. And um, the translation is, of course, to learn, like, of course not. You always have command over your actions and choices. And basically starting to get rid of this notion in my life of something or someone made me do it. Completely. Uh, And that is embarrassing to face sometimes when you have to go like, Oh, oh, I so badly want to blame you because you're being real shitty to me right now. Mm-hmm. And the, a, a common one for me before was like, I have to respond to these texts. Mm-hmm. I have to do this phone call. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have to be on these hours long circular toxic things with someone because we're going to work it out. Mm-hmm. And realizing how crazy that was. Dude, I've been there and like up recent, relatively recently, not immediately recently. And it's sad, it's heartbreaking, it's a terrible place to be, especially when you care about somebody and it's like the conversation that you really want to root, and maybe you're different than I, but the conversation that you really want to have at the root is like, hey, yo, let's set up a love language where we just don't hurt each other. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've been reading these books about attachment theory and all these different types of books. So like, that stuff really blew me away. Yeah. There's a thousand different reasons as to why we behave in certain ways based on whether we're, we're, you know, an attached personality, an avoidant personality, a secure personality, all these different things. But, you know, for me, the conversation was, Hey, like, let's be aware of there being like a transgression to my emotional state. Let's find a way to not do that. Mm-hmm. And you get lost in those other semantics and ego and all these other things right. get into it. And one of my major things right now is, is saying in those situations or trying my best to be like, Hey, this is how I feel. I care about you mm-hmm. and leave it at that. And then listen, yeah, because the I listening think listening is hard. The listening is hard. Even this podcast, I'm like actively practicing. Because <laughs> I always pinball. I'm like, you said something that sparked a thing. I got to scream and talk for uh-huh. 20 minutes about it. Listening is hard. I think also it's hard to get used to to live your truth and have confidence in it and allow people to learn that you're that you're not faking it about like if I say something mm-hmm. about a way I feel and that makes somebody you say I would always interpret that if somebody said I hurt their feelings or something, I would go off and be like, how could I fucking hurt your feelings? I didn't mean to hurt your feelings. I wasn't trying to hurt your feelings. How dare you say I hurt your feelings? You're attacking me, actually. Mm-hmm. And to realize later, it's like, no, no, they're saying that you hurt their feelings. Yeah. That's not something you can say. That's not true because I didn't mean to. Yeah. The, the metaphor for me came to like physical violence was like yeah, yeah. if I was gesticulating at a party and like when like threw my hands out wide and acc- and someone was walking past and I smacked them in the face, mm-hmm. you wouldn't go like, oh, fuck you. What are you doing yeah, walking yeah. by? I wasn't trying. You'd be like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it felt like that emotionally, too. And I think because I think we find people that fit our things. I think that is a difficult puzzle to go like, I'm going to tell you how I feel. Mm-hmm. And it's not a great feeling right now. And you're going to think that I'm telling you, you're a piece of shit. You're a bad person. You hurt me all the time. You're trying to hurt me. Yeah. And going like, I'm not. I'm yeah. just saying that I'm hurting because of this. Yeah. And it's a strange... Like, you have to be patient through that. Yeah. Because and I think that's the hardest thing about like what you're... like. And listen... When you work on yourself, you know what I mean? It's yeah. like... You don't just change overnight. Completely. And you and you need other people need to catch up with you and you need to catch up with you. And let's also be honest, we've been that other person too. That's it's, right. That's it's, right. It's, it's like we're all different shadings on that conversation. So it's <sighs> even more frustrating because you know what that other person has gone through, 
by being that person or why they're doing something they've done so that information actually affects you emotionally in a different way because you're like, wait, I've lied about that shit too. Or like, I've been sketchy or all these different types of stuff. So you're just reinforcing a bad version of what other conversation that you think you're trying to have. Mm. So for me... Yeah, I mean, it's it's still something I try to deal with daily. Once again, I just go back to the truth and like, claim, just stick to the fact that I am owning this moment in time, mm-hmm. and what I am saying is as consistent as I can emotionally and physically muster to be as consistent as I can frame something with how I am feeling. How do you how do you get in touch with what you are feeling? You know what I, I mean? mean? It's just been work. You know, I I've really been super fortunate to have amazing partners in the journey. Mm-hmm. And when I say that, like it's, you know, terrible relationships, heartbreak, all that type of stuff. There is legitimacy to the notion that they all teach you something. Yes. That these lessons are cool. And I've had some really amazing adventures because of that. And I don't know, this goes back to what I was saying earlier about like reprogramming myself to no longer fall into those patterns, but try to really use them as examples of how to create better patterning for myself Mm. based on what they trigger in me. And it becomes something that is really very emotional. And once again, like I'm being this slob with people for the most part, I feel like over explaining everything, just like checking in, trying to be as sort of like transparent as possible. Because for me, that's the training wheels to hopefully just get better with the internal conversation that I'm having with myself. Yeah, because I think... I really think one of the hardest things when you try to enter like an honest phase of oneself, and I've experienced this with uh, sometimes doing the over explaining thing too, is that it is difficult sometimes to know honestly what I'm feeling. And so I just start taking guesses or I start kind of like talking and saying how I think I'm feeling and then it'll contradict itself. And then I'll say something the next day and they'll be like, you felt this way yesterday. And I'll be like, I know I'm, uh, and so I think that's 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 I think it is human. Yeah. And that's also the, the, I mean, the burden of emotion and consciousness. Yeah. Like it's, if we didn't have it, we'd have no growth. I mean, there wouldn't be TVs. There wouldn't be wheels. Like, you know, it's like if we didn't get gifted with a brain that keeps repopulating itself with invention, like we yeah. would not be, we'd still be at the fucking fire grunting. I like that repopulating itself with invention is so good. But I love to of, think of thoughts as physical things. I mean, they are. They like, are. They are. And that's the thing that another thing that I'm looking is when I'm thinking well, and my brain feels like it is firing, the environment is more conducive and better to my experience. Mm -hmm. You can't separate the things anymore. And I think it's dangerous when people try to. And I'm not saying that they live holistically, like codependently on each other, but there is definitely the conversation that's inherently happening all the time. Otherwise, we wouldn't have been put on the fucking planet. Right. (laughs) Like, we'd be an ethereal thing that just like, deals with the environment in a completely different spectral analysis. Like yeah. we'd be energy in a much more linear, like delinear, like whatever it is to us right now, it'd yeah. be a much different conversation. So like part of the experience is recognizing and reconciling the internal conversation yeah. with the rock we got fucking put on. <laughs> right. And the people that randomly have like generated out of the fucking, you know, microcosms of evolution. Right. Like you have a girlfriend, she's a redhead, right? From what mm-hmm, I understand. Mm-hmm. Do you realize like evolutionarily what that meant for her to get to be that person yeah. in 2000, 
05, whenever you met her, for you to find her and yeah. what that meant for you and like the whole conversation that you're having, like that's your happenstance environment. Yeah. And think about what she does to you internally. Right. So then well, you're what's constantly- funny too about that, I, I have this really glib, dumb joke, but I was like, cause she's, she's a, uh, she dyes her hair red, but uh-huh. she's been, she like, She's. I don't but know, she may I, just have the spirit of a redhead. I know. I'm always like self-selecting redheads are the redheadiest of all. I truly believe, because that's a thing. It's that's like you. Hilarious. It's amazing to see. No, that's more who I am. And then mm-hmm. you turn into it. And you're like, this is who I feel like. I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't. I can't even imagine her as not that now. It's so. Yeah. Um, yeah, you, I, I, you, I had this thought about that the true thing and this idea of uh, thoughts as physical objects. Mm-hmm. Um, do you ever do the Marie Kondo thing? Oh, like- yeah. I haven't done it yet personally. I've been obsessed with the show. I'm not ready for that homework assignment yet. Yeah. Just yeah. because I feel like I got enough on my plate. I would like eventually to get to Marie. Yeah, well, I've done little tiny things. I, I got the book before the uh-huh. show. Some, actually, I think Allie gave me the book a while ago. And um, maybe not. I don't know who gave it to me. But... Um, I was like, in the first few pages, is that phrase? I was like, this is the whole book. I mean, yeah, there's some folding techniques and stuff, but the basic thing is like, if a thing does not bring you joy, let it go. Mm-hmm. And uh, and there's this thing is like, if you don't know if it brings you joy or not, um, hold it. Mm-hmm. She's like, literally take all your stuff out of the closet, pick up a shirt and see how you feel. You'll know immediately if it brings mm-hmm. you joy or not. Mm-hmm. And um, it works. It's so weird to like, be like, I got to keep all these. I'm kind of it's a, a soft hoarder mentality and, mm-hmm. you know. And then um, I wonder, I almost feel like mindfulness and that idea of getting in touch realistically and honestly with how I feel, which can be so murky and difficult, is almost this condo thing of like meditating on the thought, holding the thought and being like, I'm sad, I'm upset about whatever this thing is. And Mm -hmm. that's the thought. And you hold it and you'll know in the theoretical holding if it feels true or not like if mm-hmm. it brings you joy or not if it if it brings you truth or not mm-hmm. but like i find myself having to do exercises sort of like that just to figure out sometimes like how i'm feeling i think that's why that's what led me to so many physical practices was mm-hmm. just trying to cultivate uh an experience of actually being able to feel even my body completely and that's one of the things that i love about you i've like developed the bad versions of those practices what so like well, I mean, anything from instead of finding the time to go to the gym and grapple right. for an hour, you know, I used to find time to drink or do drugs. Oh, well, we're right or there to, together, though, dude. You I mean, know, it's like, and the funny thing you're saying about this, and I'm thinking to myself, because part of what I do just intuitively now is like people make a statement and then I'm like, okay, how can I prove or disprove it quickly for myself? Because mm-hmm. you're saying about like, do you get rid of things that feel good? But I'm like, okay, that's a really interesting concept. Where does that apply to my life and where does that? Mm-hmm. And it's gotten really fast. And the second you said that, like, I'm like, oh my God, McDonald's. It like makes me feel so fucking good at the moment. Yeah. But I had to give it up because yeah. like invariably, sure. like that comp. But when I'm holding a fucking cheeseburger, but, but I think and not even the Big Mac, the che- the wimpy yeah. cheeseburger. I know exactly <laughs> what you're talking about. I'm, I'm fucking with you. And I have a, cu- a couple thoughts about that I have. One one Share. is I think that there's a difference between Temporary. I think there's a difference between joy and and a compulsion yes. and like a thing that makes you feel good for a second. And joy is something uh, it's sort of divine. It's a spiritual concept that maybe takes a kind of clearing out and understanding. It, it it's joy is a thing that creates fertile ground. Mm-hmm. Like joy is a feeling of of um yeah like a fecund quality to your your soul and that it it feels like sunlight hitting the photosynthesis part of your spirit (laughs) and other things that bring you delight or excitement or enjoyment don't necessarily match up with that mcdonald's and and that kind of a thing um 
I just, again, I think this has to do with, I agree with you about the being ruled by narrative and in art criticism and criticism in general, I think that it has to come from a place of love and that if you, if you don't full spectrum love something like food in this case, I used to talk about this with my friend Miles all the time that like, Mm. you don't really love it. If you, if you can't honestly say this fucking shitty burger full of all the GMOs and all the shit and whatever tastes fucking good. And not only that, it's associated with times in my life that have been good as much Mm -hmm. as it's associated with times that have been bad. And that, I think there's this quality it, it's like sort of the Lebowski Zen thing of like yeah, yeah. looking at narratives and and being okay with the narrative that you're in in a moment and realizing like am I in a moment where like I'm going to go eat something shitty and it's going to be silly and fun and joyous and good Completely. same as drinking like I don't yeah. I I am not a, a sober person in the sense of like I'll never touch this fucking thing da 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 I just noticed I think what it is um someone said this about drug experience like they endorse drug experiences that allow you to know yourself more Mm -hmm. and they uh, discourage ones that allow you to get away from yourself more. Completely. And I think some of these... I think is a great way to look at it. Completely. Because alcohol, things like this food, it can... That's where it becomes tricky and does become like about discipline and self-knowledge. Anything that'll satisfy your uh, need for more dopamine requires that you stay aware of how you're utilizing it. Mm-hmm. And like drinking for sure. I, I've had joyous occasions where it's like perfect to drink together. I think drinking is really good for grieving. Mm-hmm. I think it like makes sense to get fucked up at wakes and stuff like that. Um, because it makes you sad and because yeah. it loosens up all your joy too. And this slippery quality of life, it matches with the mortality of the thing, yeah, yeah, yeah. but it's so fucking easy to just, as we both probably have experienced, like let that thing just run away with you. Completely. And then because you're so, your brain is so fast, you'll be like, no, but I've used it for things that are good, so mm-hmm. it must be that too now. Completely. I don't know, just... Uh, then someone, doesn't it bleed into like the notion we are talking about earlier about like the idea of learning then to forgive yourself in those moments? I, yes. Uh, well, like my, reconditioning that conversation? Yes, I, I had a therapist who said to me, um, just, just that said, um, try to hold things lightly. Yeah. And... That is something I go back to a lot, which I think is also the Zen Taoist, like chop wood, carry water thing of, of watching a thought run through your head and not feeling like you have to ride it. Like holding experiences of life lightly, uh, to, to basically as a way of forgiveness and acceptance and just sort of, there's this line, Miranda July interviewed Rihanna. Mm-hmm. It's like the craziest that thought. Unbelievable. And she wrote this article about meeting and interviewing Rihanna. Oh and it is God, that's so good. I wonder if it was her idea or somebody was like, I don't, we need to get I, Miranda. Like, like those two. <laughs> and Miranda July said, well, one thing that she said was just amazing. She was like, the sense when you're with Rihanna isn't that she's amazing or that you're her fan or you're friendly. She's like, the sense in the room with her is that you are in love. Like, mm-hmm. you are in love with each other. That's, That's what incredible. it is. And But she said this thing about, uh, there's this line, and I probably want to butcher it, but this is how I remember it, and that's what's important in this moment, was that she says that Rihanna um, and Marangela, they're talking about romance and finding a partner Mm -hmm. and that kind of a thing. And Miranda's introducing this thought of like, it can be difficult for women that powerful and capable to find a partner Mm -hmm. who matches them or will not be weird about it. And just a good dynamic in that, that is supportive truly. And, um, and that the, the way Rihanna said it in response, was like, uh, in this idea of seeking that like Miranda's like spent a lot of time seeking and trying and not mm. being, you know, that Rihanna said, yes, I am still in that time. 
And that phrase, I am still in that time, uh-huh. I think about it all the time. Because, because that's such an encapsulated, perfect way to look at anything we're going through. Yeah. I am in that time. Mm-hmm. And the idea that you can... Because I think especially if you like a, a brain that's kind of manic and goes very fast, it's really easy to be like, however I'm feeling is how I will always be feeling. Mm-hmm. Moments are so infinite. Nowness is so infinite mm-hmm. that you're like, however I'm feeling is how I'm going to feel forever. That's how, because this is forever. I know. And so being able to have that tool of that, I am in that time. I am still in that time. It's so helpful to me to go like, to pop myself out if mm-hmm. I'm getting, if it's getting away from me. Mm-hmm. And so things like that, if I'm doing a quote unquote destructive thing, it's like, helpful to go, I'm just in that time. Yeah. And knowing that just by naming the time and again, being ruled by narratives, if everything, everything is a narrative because everything has a beginning, middle and an end. Mm -hmm. So if I'm in that time, that just means I'm in the middle of it, which means necessarily it will have an end. Yes. Because all things do completely. That helps bring me peace or get the, get the reins on the runaway experience. It's a hugely good way of looking at it because I wish I heard it. I wish I could actually live it. Oh, me too. (laughs) 10 years ago, that notion, you end up like feeling guilty about so many things that then you don't have to carry with yourself and you get to look at from a different perspective and it liberates you to look at it from that perspective. Like when you were talking earlier about like the defensive responses and all that type of thing, like, I'm always shocked when you get into conversations with people and they are highly evolved, intelligent people. And I don't mean that like you're we're every the most unhighly evolved person you think, you know, compare him to a form of a human. Yeah. <laughs> you know, right. 50,000 right. years ago. This is somebody who knows what a TV is. This is somebody who can uh, yeah. get on a bus. They can download an app. Like, Sometimes I think about like, you like, you know, like, um, you know, like he is running that ship. He's the Einstein of the, yeah, fucking, yeah, exactly. of the fire pit. Sometimes I think day. like, would any just normal schlub on the street today, if you put him back in time, sometimes I'm like, if you put him back in time, like even 2000, 3000 years, oh my God. would people be like, Look at this. Like, you know the movie uh, <laughs> Galaxy Quest? Completely. And, and the aliens are, like, trying to understand stories. Yeah, yeah. And the other aliens are, like, meet, are like, oh, this alien race doesn't know what lying is. Yeah, yeah, completely. So we were able to destroy their whole civilization because <laughs> we just lied and they couldn't come up with that. Sometimes I'm like, if you took a schlub from now and put, a, put him, like, 3,000 years ago, would they be like, this guy's Machiavelli. This I guy's mean, brilliant. Exactly. And all he does is, like... And the answer is yes. <laughs> yeah, like, the guy who invented lying being like, uh-huh. what I do is I tell people a thing, but <laughs> it's not simpler. the thing. They'll be like, oh, my God. Just put the food in a bowl, and they're like, "Balls, yeah, fucking oh balls. my god, I don't have to carry it in my hands over long tracks. Yeah, it doesn't get slimy. The height of technology, oh, that's so crazy. Jim, yeah, that is funny. Jim, that is funny. But yes, you're right. Brilliant. You were saying when you meet people who even the, the most evolved. Yeah, I mean, there are, and we're lucky to meet people all the time that are super. Like I, my friends are brilliant. Like mm-hmm. I'm always thrown into all with from them, and you get into conversations with them, and they create their own defense mechanisms and they do all those different types of stuff and they fight back or if it's a relationship and they don't want to talk about like you're sitting there being like oh blah 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 you're not that evolved they're super involved they're still choosing that as their reactionary method like i find that to be a very interesting sort of thing to be witness to now Mm. as somebody who's trying to do the complete different thing yeah and I don't even know how we got onto this point. Mm-hmm. What were we talking about? Uh, everything. <laughs> everything. So, but it's just like an interesting thing to see, like, you know, people accept the conversation for it being the conversation versus like their emotional response to it. 
And that's, yeah. I think, one of the things, you know, that our brain does is it tricks us into these narratives and these conversations right. that sometimes aren't really even part of what's happening. Uh, one, I, that feels connected to me to, like, because I have to do it for myself all the time. When that you, feels when, completely disconnected to what we're talking about. I have no No, I don't think, I, well, I was going to say that... Because it is really to that in the time thing, and that when you were, I, I yes. cut you off when I said like when you were saying, Go, I wish I had that, I wish I could feel that way, and you said ten years ago, and I was just saying like <laughs> yes, like now, yes, I there still it is. Thank you for bringing it back. So it. going back to the time thing, like because then it allows for you to accept the moment in a way that you don't have to be defensive about. Yeah. It's like, you can engage with that conversation and say like, that's how I am in that time still and say like, okay, like I'm in that time. I'm accepting that I'm in that time. I don't have to get defensive about it. Yeah. Like your flaw all of a sudden becomes a superpower because you're like, this is who I am right now. Yes. So. I, I think, uh, the, uh, there's an irony that like the more quote unquote enlightened you become, the more you feel like you uncover divine secrets of the universe and yourself and other things. I think if you're truly doing that, you're hyper aware of how much your body is still this animal that sometimes is just going to be like, I used to think no matter how cool, like, cause like art artists, like who are like cool fucking artists and like, Oh, they're all, they're like sexy or brooding or poetic, like all the fucking time. And that's what they look like. These musicians, I'd always be like, those people have a toilet paper preference. (laughs) Like at some point in their life, they look at in the aisle and they go, which toilet paper do I want? I mean, I was having a conversation the other day too, but like, I just didn't want to get the stuff that wasn't environmentally good, but I use so much of it (laughs) and it hurts so much that it's like, oh, I think I'm going to have to get the the bad stuff to feel good. But just like as a reminder, you know, like (laughs) no matter how fucking cool or or enlightened or special, I feel like I've Uh, I've reached a new level. I see where you're going with this. I will always be in that time. Uh I will have a shitty reaction. I will, I will fail in my fucking tools that I've fixed. Mm-hmm. And I do think we have like a generally upward spiral. Yeah. Like yeah, you get a little better, you get a little less reactive, but eh, you gotta, like you gotta have acceptance and moment to moment forgiveness for so, everybody, including yourself. So let me ask you a question. So walking within that conversation, cause we're, this is where I'm at right now very much as a human being. It's like, okay, you're getting better about like knowing yourself or getting better about speaking your truth. You're interacting with other people. They yeah. may be approaching life in a different manner. You're getting better about not imposing your will on them, blah, 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 blah. And then, you know, just through a happenstance-like version of interaction, there's a disconnect. Mm-hmm. Miscommunication happens. Feelings get hurt. At what point are you good at absorbing that while still maintaining your boundaries and doing your internal self-respect, the giving it the justice that it needs yeah. and deserves? While at the same time allowing for the malleability of those exchanges. You mean like to, I wonder what you mean, like to let go of the outcomes of other people's responses or? Or to like, you know, if somebody is disrespectful or like hurtful and you try to address it and they get defensive and blah, 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 blah. Like to what point are you just like, is that worth my time anymore? Do I still like make the effort? Do I allow for, because... The problem, too, is that other people see that information sometimes as weakness or as... That you are wounded? You're wounded, you're weak. You want something from them? You you want something from them? Yeah. They just... Oh, they see it as a weakness because... They see it as a weakness because you're not creating this, like, crazy boundary of, like, you can't do this. You're showing a different type of, like, interaction with just compassion or understanding. Like, how do you navigate that? Well, I I think... uh, 
I really do think that like where I am and they start thing is like something you just end up having to face over and over mm-hmm. because, um, I don't know. We're all broken. We're all mm-hmm. like feel this way. And I, I, it's interesting you ask this cause I'm struggling with a little bit. Like I feel like the healthier I get at being like self-sufficient, um, and not demanding or identifying my experiences of bad feelings or whatever as a thing that I'm feeling. And, mm-hmm not to discount the reality of somebody else wounding me. Like the thing we said, even like about smacking someone at a party. Mm-hmm. I, I really don't think the idea that you control all your experiences is true. Like just the way someone could just cut your arm and you'd be cut. I think someone can do something hurtful to you spiritually or mentally, uh, emotionally. And it feels real. Mm-hmm. I, I just think what I can always do is moderate my response and r- realistically. So I go with that metaphor again about the getting cut thing where I was always like, well, what's going to help me here? Will screaming and crying and waving it around and demanding that the person who just cut me fix it, will that be effective or will it be more effective to calm down, put pressure on it, walk away from the person who's hurting me, figure out how to bandage it and heal it and just do that. And that in real life, if I got fucking cut, that would work. Mm. And the idea that I'm going to fix it and work it out with the person, not to say like don't try, but I think it just becomes this really hard thing that sometimes makes me feel a little bit like an alien mm-hmm. where I'm like, am I just going to not count on other people? Well, that's the thing. And like the sad thing for me in the conversation that I'm having with my internal self is strangely, like as you hone in on what makes you feel healthier and happier, and this is where I am right now. And I don't, obviously there's, there's no solutions to these questions. Right. Um, two things have happened. I have limited things so that I've really like McDonald's isn't good for me. Penny isn't good for me. You know, gym isn't good for me. Drinking isn't good for me. So my life becomes in a lot of ways, a lot more restricted and controlled Mm -hmm. and myopic. So that is in the support of me being like, Uh I'm going to live a healthier life because these things challenge me or create other emotions in me that I have trouble dealing with. Yes. Which is the the crazy thing. But I think that's, fine i think that's a good thing to do but don't you also think that part of you and i agree there's huge value in that but like part of the adventure in life like if you didn't get your heart broken 100 you would not have experienced life you would have been limited to that experience so it's like you can do that but at what time are you also denying your ability to be human in this conversation. Yeah, I, I, I think the same way you used to not know how to shit in a toilet mm-hmm. when you were a very small baby. And that was a wonderful learning experience to like not have to sit in your own shit. Mm-hmm. I think like we keep growing and you're allowed to move that bar of learning. Mm-hmm. And I think there's an aspect of like, if I feel like I'm doing old patterns that feel fucking poisonous, mm-hmm. uh, I think you're allowed to go like, uh, I've learned this. I don't, this doesn't serve me anymore to do this. Mm-hmm. And I just don't want to, I mean, one, one big thing with the other people thing mm-hmm. I realized was I got in touch with the fact that if I got in a conflict with somebody and I felt like we were working it out and I felt mm-hmm. like we needed to stay in that fire and do this thing and it's not pleasant, but this is, it felt good because we were working it out. I realized that I truly wanted to work it out. Mm-hmm. That the goal for me was to reach an end where we yeah. were at peace and got to do something new. Uh, I realized for some other people and probably myself in the past too, that felt comfortable in chaos, comfortable in conflict. Um, for some people that is the relationship they want Mm -hmm. that like they feel 
like the end game is the process that I find uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And if you recognize that, which I think is some of that toxic pattern stuff yeah, of yeah. the things that aren't good for you, I don't think there's any restriction of oneself. Mm-hmm. All you're doing is making space for new things to learn, like new experiences. Sure. And figuring out which of those challenges are the new things you got to do. You know what so I mean? Then- I mean, are we allowed to ask you questions? Ah, uh, yeah. Whatever you want. <laughs> so, I mean, so with your present relationship, yeah. you've like gone back to something that has proven at times from what I understand. Well, yes. So gone back is an interesting, I think about this a lot because I have to hold patience for loved ones I see and bad things. Mm-hmm. I truly feel, it's been a long time that mm-hmm. I've been on and off, uh, been maybe eight years or something. We've been through horrible periods. Mm-hmm. Um, this, this, we've been together again for about a year and a half, two, and it took us a long time. It's only recently that we're being like because we had each other in probationary period, and because we know our families and our friends are all like over it and blah blah, blah all the stuff. I will say, I truly believe two things make it different. One, I think we're really different people. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll just speak for myself. Uh, because you know people have their own private stuff but like I'm medicated Mm -hmm. I've um, been diagnosed with like some stuff that you're like oh wow I've I've read read more books about the mechanisms of ADHD understanding my depression which I think is part of the trickiness of the knowing oneself getting in touch with truth like what's true in your feelings is um, also understanding if you got a piss, you, your attitude changes. Mm-hmm. Your experience of what kind of person you are is a different person just because you, have, you haven't pissed in a while. So when you just factor in then like hormones and uh, chemicals in my brain that make me think things going on are real, mm-hmm. that's something to be moderated and understood. Grew up a little around that. Got a lot of better practices around that. I feel like a different person. And I feel like in her own ways, she's a different person. I also think part of it was true breakups, like dated other people, mm-hmm. uh, some in for, you know, in varying levels of seriousness and mm-hmm. attempts that like true rifts, like mm-hmm. true, which I think is also necessary that if you're going to re-engage with someone, I think it's important that you're not going back. Like you said, like, it's not like we're going back to something. Mm-hmm. It's like, you're moving into some new thing, maybe as new people. I think that demands that you believe and, and like truly believe being coming a new person is possible. Yeah. And I think it takes, and we're pretty careful about it. It's like, so funny. That's like the conversation I have with people all the time. We're, 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 do you we're, think people are, I mean, obviously you do. I do. I do. But I also think there's like a moment to moment checking in with that reality mm-hmm. where it's almost a joke at this point where we check in and go like, should we break up? Am I holding you back? What's going on? You know, are we just, you know, because that is the fear. It's Uh like, are you just fucking doing the same patterns? I will say, I think objectively, like you can measure the metrics of (laughs) screaming toxic breakup fights, shitty behavior, Mm -hmm. dishonesty on my part. I don't think on hers, but from my, all these things objectively that I think could become objective metrics of if a relationship is good or not Completely. have all changed. And I noticed I know my responses change. And I will also say other people have known me for a long time. It's just called doing the work, Jared. I think this is called doing the work <laughs> and believing. I mean, dude, okay, let's just look at physically or jujitsu. Mm-hmm. The person you are when you start fucking jujitsu, 
you're the same person mm-hmm. six years later. Yeah. Except one of them could murder the other one without breaking a sweat now. I know. I always think that about you because you're always like so sweet and cuddly. I was like, if I piss them off, you could probably just submit me in under five seconds. Um, I, you know what's funny about that? I used to, uh, I had a joke about, that remains a little bit true, but more it's just like a funny thing to think about, is that I didn't trust somebody if I could capture, kill, and begin eating them within a minute. <laughs> because I was just like, how, how, will they, how will they back me up? How will they be in addition well, to Well, my, the, my thought is I could probably spot. outrun you for 59 seconds. So I can make it to a minute of three. I don't know. I, I also think when you engage um, in that level, I don't believe all martial arts serve you this way, but um, I've waxed on and on and I'll do it more. Submission grappling in particular... Um, I'm really disheartened when I see people who are very good at it or big figures in the sport or whatever be shitty because mm-hmm. I think it's an act mm-hmm. on some level that they've learned that sells more tickets or that's like the bravado and they bought into it because the truth of those things is uh, you get fucking submitted by other people a million times. Yeah. You and And when you have that experience and you start to learn that like the techniques of that sport work to the, uh, to the point that like if you are not paying attention and you slow and do something, even as like a very high level belt, a white belt who just learned how to do a guillotine choke, it'll Can, work. It'll, yeah, it'll get you. Shit. Yeah. And I think that creates the more one faces the, the actual violence. Uh, By the ego, way, guys, this is our bridge into his other podcast. Oh, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Last than you. I'm sorry. Um, I, that the more one faces that, the less it's a, it's a thing, the less you are ever inclined to Completely. fight or compete in that way. And I think, I really think we're supposed to transcend on some level. And that kind of involves a weird, you transcend it by going deeper into it in my experience, but like we're supposed to transcend that physical part of us. That's what all we're talking about. Yep. The habit breaking and the things that are toxic and our fears and the things that are on a somatic level, we try to change it are so hard. Some of that is the question of violence and, and that, that like, the more you do it, the more you exercise it out of your system, the more you experience what it would be if there were actual consequences and that there's a huge difference between consensual and non-consensual violence. And in in the wild of, I wouldn't say that I'm a pacifist because I don't, Mm -hmm. uh, I I think my body's response would be to be violent back. Mm -hmm. But um, even since I was a little kid, I have a weird, like I don't really feel personal affront and I had to like figure out some of that was numbness and realize I was growing resentment that I did feel hurt by some people and I had to acknowledge that. It's a coping mechanism. I mean, I was the same way. I would take a lot more shit than I would have to just mm-hmm. because like that was my way of coping with it. The irony is – it's disengagement. Well, the, it is. It is. And I just think the irony – sometimes disengagement isn't bad. No. And it can be great. very like – if it is a – But it's – for me, it was problematic in the sense that it didn't help me grow. It didn't right. make me more cognizant of the issues and the buttons that I had right. in me that I had to get in touch with. Yes. So, so that, that that's re- part of why I'm such a proponent of combat sports. I think that's a healthy environment to really engage with that. Be like, like when people are brand new to it too, and you see their, uh-huh. they're like, Oh, can I actually be strong? Can I try? Oh, they're kind of playing. And when you see that, where, when you see it melt from, cause there's also white belt spazzes who have just been like waiting and they're like, finally I get to fucking fight other people who are like, have been holding back and then it's kind of a beautiful thing to see it melt off to see them no engage with the violence that lives in them mm-hmm. and then learn how to moderate it and not be ruled by it and that that process i think really translates spiritually mm-hmm. and i have noticed like you're saying about like going back are you going back to a thing going back to a relationship or going back to a thing that's bad for you how do you moderate if you change or not i have noticed in my life and i've a, I've, I've done jiu jitsu for like 12 13 years a very on and off very on and off 
And that when things got really bad for me, the times that I would start getting better, unconsciously I would show up at a mat again and start doing it. And I think, I do believe that we can change. If I I didn't, I wouldn't keep trying. I love that you say that. And it's so, I've had so many conversations with people and I've had interactions too, which are actually a little bit more dispiriting where you can see that people don't think you're capable of change or that you are, or they just don't believe in the conceit. And you know, I used to be like that. I think part of it is because that's where you're at. You don't really see the empowerment within yourself to feel the change. And I think Mm -hmm. the second I started leading into that, I was like, people are completely capable of change. I think so. I had a, a good friend. She would always tell me about like, you know, what movie are you projecting? Like, this is happening to you. You are the person in control of the projector. Why are you projecting that movie? Why don't you put in another movie? Well, that's your narrative thing. Once again. What are you projecting for yourself, even? Exactly. And what I didn't realize, too, was that, like, initially, I saw through the filter of a narrative where I would have to create a narrative to support that film. What I realized, what she was sort of fundamentally saying was, like, well, why are you even choosing to watch that film? Mm. Take a few steps even further and say, like, change that decision. Mm Mm-hmm. And in doing that, it incrementally allows you, in my experience, to like feel empowered to the reality of change. And it's it's I'm I'm really stoked. I can't believe I just said stoked. I love that word. Don't don't be ashamed I of just, stoked. I, I used to make fun of it. Just like dude, it eventually just becomes part of our vernacular. You make fun of it enough, you I absorb know. it. I know. Um so but <laughs> I I'm so happy to hear that you believe that people are capable of change and that it's something that you think can provide different engagements externally mm-hmm. because once again like that's the thing it's like if you can change from this internal place like the stuff around you manifests in a different way and just to bring it circularly wonderfully back to the health thing yeah which i never directly dealt with the second i found out about what i was going through i was like i'm not going to fucking therapy mm. like i don't want to have to deal with this reality i don't want to have to stop drinking i don't want to have to mm. stop all these different things that i should be doing I mean, I don't want to stop being in the relationship that I wasn't at the time that wasn't healthy either. It's like you want to pretend life is normal because that is making it tell you that it's very abnormal. Right. Which is, hey, <laughs> it could be finite. Right. Wake up to that. More finite, or quick, more quickly finite than you're aware of. Yeah. Eventually, because all those realities I couldn't like deny anymore got stripped away and I got sort of stuck with myself, Oof. I was like, okay, I have to change because I actually don't want to die shortly. Right. So what ends up happening wow. is then you slowly begin to reduce your alcohol intake. You slowly begin to reduce the amount of food that you're putting into your system that you know is not healthy for you. You begin to meditate or create like practices for yourself that you, you know that you're in control of that can allow for you to change that movie before you put in the other one. So mm-hmm. it's like slowly these things began to ripple through. There wasn't a lightning bolt. Right. But it began to change. And then, you know, I'll be on right now. What is it? Today's roughly March 12th. So I'm almost at like five, six months of like good reporting health-wise. And I know it's all because of like what happened. Like what happened to me health-wise was completely atypical. It was completely Un, I mean, mathematically near impossible what I was dealing with at the mm. time. Two various different types of, you know, stuff came at me that 
I didn't genetically have. Hmm. I wasn't predisposed to. One of it was very much only in the realm of young kids having. Hmm. The other one was in places that just didn't logically make sense, like from a physical standpoint, that's why I would have gotten something. So in changing those other things, I've gone back and it's like, I've noticed the difference and things have changed externally for me. Yeah. Um, cautious to a be specific about what i have yeah, just no, because no, no just because i don't want people to think that there's like a cure for something right because i think that's a dangerous thing totally but i think the healthy thing is to say like hey i can do stuff internally that will help change the manifestation of my externalization i yes and that's why i'm so happy to hear you say that <laughs> yeah. like change is possible well i think like uh the more i, I think even the more we seem to learn about the biological and physical aspects of like who we are, that difference between physical realities and uh, subjective experiential things, that like line gets slipperier and slipperier. Completely. And I, I don't know. I do think that your physical, I mean, gut biome and, yeah. and shit like that alone. Brain health, so much of it is tied to being physical, to working out, to getting those endorphins going. I mean, releasing. stress will create disease in you like that word means dis-ease like th that's what it breaks into uh and i think about that sometimes now i think a fucking chiropractor was the first person who said that to me i was like oh fuck dis-ease wow but that like <laughs> it's true you can kill yourself with stress yeah. you just will it'll just mm -hmm. like burn your body down over time completely and i do think i don't know so that there is to me something really compelling about like I know I'm always looking for weird analogies and metaphors that make me feel more possible. And, and what you were just saying, there's something in this moment. I'm like, wow. Yeah. Just the fact that you could have like a life threatening illness and heal it. Not that it always works out just like emotionally. It doesn't always work out makes you that's, that is a real change that goes from like very threatened, very, very different physical state of physical reality and your prospects and hopes for what's going to work out, which might be a relationship too you can change that into something completely different. Mm -hmm. I don't know that otherwise, if I didn't believe in that, wouldn't we all just fucking give up? You become a nihilist or just, or sheerly ruled by experience. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I, I want to say also like sheerly ruled. And this is uh, by a lack of social community. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's like a big thing too, that as you, sort of as I've been able to sort of take the burden of some of my issues off my daily mm -hmm. buffet of life. Yeah. It frees up your ability to sort of look at things a little bit broad, more broadly and talk about the contribution you're making and stuff like to this the yeah. situation around us. And what's really nice in doing it too, it's like you realized your acknowledgement in this greater conversation. Yeah. Like if you're putting that energy out into the world, if you're, you're somebody is receiving it too. Yeah. Like nothing works in a vacuum. Yeah. Well, on that note, I think also like it, I, I, the idea of changing, becoming a better person, whatever, obviously like, nobody's fucking perfect. And I, and I do still think I have to be real with myself about like, do situations or people trigger something in me that still I not, I don't like that yeah. like makes me feel like I actually that it feels like it makes me quote unquote mm -hmm. like because I know intellectually it doesn't I'm choosing yeah. and blah blah but the reality of that and my own limitations is one that I still face too and and I think uh me and and in my relationship if we didn't if we were still doing that then we wouldn't do it do you feel like there's but I do think people and things still exist that I'm like oh I 
I'm not ready to be stronger than that response. Why do you think that that... Actually, I feel, can I pause again? Yeah, yeah. I fucking don't like that I said stronger than the response because I don't think that even factors into it. Like drinking. Mm-hmm. I took drinking off last year. I, I drank like one time for some sort of magical thing with my friend and having a good event. But um, previous to that year, that like New Year's, I was with my buddy and we decided we weren't going to do it. And I was just like, yeah. Previous to that, I tried to go 30 days one time without drinking, and I, it was so fucking hard. Yeah. And for some reason, it wasn't that I, I was so strong now and I could withstand it. Just something changed in me. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's a paradigm of better or worse or stronger or weaker. I think it's just accepting this possibility of something new and different that it's like I wasn't suddenly stronger than my need to drink. Just something shifted in me that was like, I say this phrase all the time, like, does it serve me? It just didn't serve me. And, and it wasn't like, a, it was just like, I just didn't, the appetite was gone. You, you know the way you can make yourself cringe by thinking of things you said as a teenager or said as a younger person? I think there's a great gift in that to say like the fact that you make yourself so uncomfortable, the previous version of you mm-hmm. means that whatever you are now, one day you probably or could feel that way about that now. And if that's not proof of ability to change, like, I don't know what is. No, I mean, I completely agree. The hope is that it's a little bit more grounded and and has is better entrenched right so that yes the, the wobble of the the roller coaster isn't so disorienting yeah there actually can be like the enjoyment of the whole coaster and the understanding that like okay this is we've been here before yeah we're gonna go through this yeah. again but yeah i'm not gonna let this take me off the fucking rail yeah so i'm gonna still put my head down sort of suck it up I have some skill set and some self-awareness to know that it doesn't have to be that way. Or if somebody comes and they normally trigger something in that, be like, hey, man, I, I actually saw that bullet coming. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I'm going to do a little ducky duck right now, yes. which is probably really fascinating with you and your relationship with your girlfriend at this point. Because uh-huh. like based on that history, there's probably so much reinforcement of your changing that you're probably not even like consciously aware. Uh, sometimes because an old thing will come up and we'll even do bits about it. Like... Mm-hmm. Like we'll start having like a fake jokey fight about like they'll you'll say something and be like oh oh fuck that must mean you don't love me huh oh fuck you're probably cheating on me oh my god what the fuck oh shit let's have a big fight about it should we break up you want to break up and you just like start joking about old patterns that you believe that you felt mm-hmm. because it's like childlike yeah when you can identify your traumas and Completely. your responses to people there's um, also like a lack of attachment to it as well which I think is a huge gift as you like now oh yeah stuff well I think another thing about it and everyone's different sometimes you do need a full start restart you, you sometimes you just can't outgrow a pattern with someone or your chemical response you have to each other I don't know but I think I'm very family oriented and and very like because of the nature of my family being so chaotic but like my sibling relationships always remaining very strong no matter what ups and downs um, people say life is short all the time and at some point I started saying life is long life is fucking long you live a million different lives in your life and i have that attitude about it that i um i've come to realize too for me just time spent just knowledge of a person like even if they're an acquaintance even like you like an acquaintance sort of you don't see that often like who shows up matters and maybe that's a problem my narrative thing too but like it just matters the same way in, uh, in in pantheons of gods and stuff like there's Loki and Coyote. There's these gods that don't represent like fun, cool things, yeah, yeah, yeah. but they're part of the family. They're, yeah. they're part of reality. Mm-hmm. It's like that is important to me. And I think it's important to me to – it's important to me that when you've known someone a long time and they know the real you and you're operating from that base of understanding – 
Um, I don't know. It. I Does like anybody, it. I, I love it too. Listen, and... Well, if they have a sense of, of knowing a person, quote-unquote, as like a dialectic yeah, one. Yeah, sure. Yeah, and sure. I, and I have, you know, a couple of people in my lives that I feel like know me incredibly well, and we've been through some shit together, mm-hmm. like the ringers. And I mean romantically, not necessarily, like... Yeah. And... I wonder sometimes if they do know me. Oh, yeah. And the question is not necessarily <laughs> mine to answer. Right. What I've come to realize, it's theirs to investigate if they want. Uh-huh. And when I say that, it's like something happens with somebody, they assume something, they know you really well, there may have been a pattern or something, they're going to assume that's your intention, but you've been off doing your own shit. Yeah. Right? You've been off, like, yeah. sanding the tables sharpening the knives, getting right. ready for like the fucking big dinner of life, enjoying yeah. the preparation process. You know, when you got some great, you know, fat farm raised awesome meat and <laughs> fresh picked vegetables and you're excited about something right. that has nothing to do with the meal they think they're going to sit down at. Yeah, 100%. And it's like, do you, they, and then the question, I guess like you're saying, do they show up? It's like, yeah. It's like, do they want to know? Do they want to know? Yeah. And that's always a fascinating thing for me right now because it's like, okay, good for you. Mm-hmm. Whole other world out here that you can open your side. You can show up for this really beautiful meal that we're putting together right now. Yeah. Or are you going to think that you're going to get warmed up spaghetti again? And I, nothing's wrong with warmed up spaghetti. Yeah. I think a good way to a metric for one's own, if you've changed or not, is like how important their response to your new self is to you. Completely, it, you know. Yeah. Once you realize it's such a beautiful place to enter, where you're like, for so long, you're like, I'm gonna change. I think <clears throat> I've been in the thing relationships where I'm like, so excited. I'm like, they're gonna, you gotta. I've changed a lot. You should talk to me. You're gonna love it. I'm a totally new person, mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's a great sign that I'm not a totally new person. Oh my god, completely. That's a great <laughs> sign that you like want. Yeah, I want the response. I want to be like, you want the buy fix. into the you story want, yeah. that I'm a new person. You, you want the conversation that you think you're gonna that you're used to having with that person. Yeah, my mom used to say this thing when I was a kid. Uh, I, would, I used to like make fun of because I was so because it sounds so new agey, but it is very true. And I think about it all the time, which is like, who are you today? That like that has to be the dialectic that you I have with moms. someone you love. I know, dude. Moms are moms are amazing. The irony right now is it's like. My mom's become less like that, and my dad's become more like that. And I could not more like, who are you today? More like, yeah, like yeah. how are you? He's like, you feeling good? You feeling empowered? You're going to go get stuff? You're going to make stuff happen? Mm-hmm. And my mom is just like, oh, yeah, I went to such and such city, and we drank tequila, and I don't know. It was super fun. And I don't know why I'm giving her this word, Mexican. <laughs> But uh, she lives in Mexico, and she is Mexican. So, um, <laughs> I mean, that's why. <laughs> you know, Mexican-American. Sure. have an accent. But uh, it's a completely different situation, and I mean, talk about change. Like, my dad was the most self-aware, like, in- uncommunicative human being on the planet, and now he's become, like, the most biggest teddy bear loving thing. And my mom's just, like, all about, like, primal experience, where she would always be like, what's wrong? What's wrong? Tell yeah. What is wrong? So, yeah. It's, um, I don't know, man. It's, yeah. It's, it's, it's complicated. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, <laughs> the other thing you made me think of in there that maybe I was like laughing about to myself a little bit. I do. And maybe this is another thing. So now I'm dissecting it about like, is there a rubric to say, cause I mean, we're still in progress. Who knows if we'll yeah. fucking work out, you know, I didn't even mean to like talk about relationships. I was yeah, just curious but it's, about it's using great. it as like the metric stick in this conversation for talking about like change. A chain. Yeah. Well, I think related to that and the openness to 
The possibility. The possibility, because so many times we get locked into like... Like the possibility no. of the reality. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, no, no, I'm not going to do that. No, 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 I don't want to do that. No. And it's like, just like you can change your perspective on, in my case, tomatoes, which I hated growing up. Oh. And now <laughs> love more than anything. Yeah. And I think about that as a sign of change all the time, like olives and shit. There's a time I didn't fucking like olives. And you're like, what kind of person was I when I didn't like olives? Who are you? Yeah. <laughs> um, but like, you know, but it's also being open to somebody saying, you should try this. I remember the moment. I was 24. Yeah. And I went to a farmer's market with a dude, and we're in Berkeley. And it was adjacent to the edible schoolyard. It was, you know, Alice Waters doing her magnificent right. farm, to ta- uh, you know, farm to table situation. And he's like, just eat it raw like it's an apple. Oh, yeah. That sounds terrible. (laughs) And he convinced me to do it, and it changed my life. I was like, they're sweet. They're they're not these weird beefsteak tart things that I grew up with in Jersey. And like, conversation completely A good, real tomato with just some salt is like one of the best fucking things in the world. A little olive oil? It's like the greatest. But it took... Me saying, okay, well, this could have a different outcome. Yeah. Should I be available to that? Yes. Yes. That's, that's it in a nutshell. Like yes. the, the, the fucking childlike idiocy that you have to be like, I'm going to keep watching the magician's trick and letting it trick me. Yeah. The possibility of, like, that is real. Like, there will never be, a, that is, I think, part of that magical thinking stuff that's so hard to wrap your head around. I agree. Is you have to paradoxically be like, I'm going to be so fucking stupid that I believe new possible things are possible and allow for that optimism yeah. allow. And it's, you know, one of my favorite proofs of all time, this guy saying Anselm was trying to prove the existence of God. Mm-hmm. And it was amazing because it came down to like a very, I think it was two or three steps. It was like, do you accept that the notion of God exists? And it's like, or do you accept like the idea of a God? Mm-hmm. And the answer is like, sure. We yeah. know the word. It's intuitive to who we are. If you believe in God, he exists. Is like step two. Yeah. And it was just about, he was basically saying like, it will never be proved right. with the exception of your faith and optimism. That's right. And if you have that faith and optimism, God exists. Yeah. And if you don't, then God doesn't exist. You know, like um, the uh, placebo effect yeah. is like one of the most... Uh, what's it called? Um, reliably effective medical effects that exists Mm -hmm. like more than a lot of medications that, because they can just show over and over again, that thing of like athletes who believe in God and stuff like that. And they say it helps them. It's like, yeah, then it does. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, I like the idea that like, I, I've been thinking a lot about like, to me, we are the universe observing itself. Mm -hmm. And that idea of like, we are all God. I, I don't know. I, I, I got, um, I know there's more at work because I've felt love before. And once you feel that, it's like, then you're just getting bogged down in semantics. And if you really do think there's like some sentient vision that's kind of like a man sp- spaghetti monster in the sky, well, then I'll be like, well, there I have some notions I disagree with. That seems absurd to me. But to me, I don't know. I, you know, doing the whole thing of like, I say God, but what I mean is love or existential connection between all things or this or that. Or that oh, whatever. Let's just say I said one syllable where it's easy as God. Mm-hmm. And, and to me, there's more that says about me and my discomfort with myself and existence or whatever when I have to get bogged down in the rules and the mm-hmm. pedantic of like what that means. Um, totally disconnected from this, but earlier just made me think about it and it feels related. Um, I say this thing about my girlfriend 
which is that I feel like I'll never truly know her. Mm -hmm. And uh, that sense of mystery there is something I really like. I agree. And I I think that's important because that with this idea of as a metaphor for change and if it's possible in general, I think that's a good thing to have with yourself also. Like sometimes some of the best things I can do for like mental health is like imagine me as a child and Mm -hmm. how I would treat the child version of me and then try to be nice to them like that way. And if you can think of yourself as like this stranger that you'll never really know, but you love Mm -hmm. and you want to believe in possibility for, and you're kind of excited to see what they're going to do next. I don't know. I think that's a, sort of wonderful way to think of yourself completely. And then you are open to the possibility of like, I don't even know what it is now. So it could be anything tomorrow. I completely agree. And I also wonder if like, if that is maybe the true journey. Right. Mm -hmm. And like, this is why Buddhism has begun to be very interesting to me. Mm -hmm. And listen, I was raised Jewish. I was bar mitzvah. My mom was Catholic. I've been, around the world who been exposed to many, many different religions. I find them all fascinating. Yeah. The lesson about Buddhism that is, I'm finding very fascinating. What you're talking about is like still this lack of attachment. Mm-hmm. You're like this lack of like being able to feel comfort by defining your girlfriend in this box and saying, she's this. Right. So like, that'll make me feel safe. Right. And by giving that up and saying like, she's a mystery and like all that type of stuff is like what I get to enjoy in life. Yeah. It's sort of cool. I had a, partner that I don't know if I, I I had trouble in the relationship reconciling my love for her spirit and person mm-hmm. versus my allotment to my need to control it. Mm-hmm. And it would eventually, you know, it didn't end up being a healthy exchange. Um, but like there was like such beauty and like now I find such amazingness in like the gift of a partner who like is unexpected Mm -hmm. is constantly mysterious like I love that adventure you know and when people always talk about not to bring this into like a gender game but like you know how women are so unpredictable and blah blah like we're all fucking unpredictable of course crazy we're all like manifesting these things and like guys just tend to internalize where women tend to externalize maybe like I don't know the difference but like isn't that awesome? Yeah. That's what <laughs> that, I think. Like that there is somebody that like can still make you be aware to like the unexpected yeah. of life. I agree. I think that, that like the messiness, I, I like to think about like, what, what do I want? Someone who I can just put in a box. I know everything they're going to do every day and yeah. it's all locked down. No, but that, the weird thing they is wouldn't like, be a dimensional, real, honest human if that was true. And, then, and you do you probably are actively being less messy with that person because it's like, they're you're not putting them in the box or they're not hitting the walls and like, let me out, let me out. Yes. And they're just like, there's less mess because you're like, it is messy. I see it in dogs all the time. Well, some mm. dogs are like, if they're on a leash or behind a fence, they're real shitty, barky, aggressive maniacs. And there's this thing with some dogs, especially like guard dog type breeds, that like they have an instinct. If you if you give them a restricted area that is like theirs, then they need to protect it. But once you put them in a dog park, you take them off the leash or just let them run around. They're fine. They're sweet. They're cute. There's no restriction. So there's no need to protect their fear or anything. Mm-hmm. But as soon as you give them like a boundary that must be protected and, and feared uh, whatever comes near it, then they're really aggressive. And I think that's like so true what you just yeah. said. If you, if as soon as you like get comfortable in like the flow of it, mm-hmm. then I think that's the jujitsu thing too. It's so scary 
until you just do it until you're just like fighting and you do mm-hmm. and it's this you understand this malleable strange thing that happens there's no longer anything to fear there you're just you're just existing which means you can like do less and be i don't know yeah <laughs> great yeah, yeah yeah um let's do the uh let me go and make quick uh, wrap up six quick cues thing which sometimes don't go that quick uk do you need to pee or anything like that no i think we're good all right we're I, all, okay i think i can make it um, where, what are we at? We went for, we're going for a while. Gosh, golly. Sorry. This is fun. I'm sorry. Okay. Uh, the first one is yes. Have you been diagnosed with any sort of mental, uh, health kind of things? And, uh, a lot of us aren't, doesn't really matter. What do you feel like you, is your thing? What are some things that you struggle with? Um, I haven't been diagnosed. My family has people in my family, immediate family. Yeah. Um, so I was examined when I was younger. They said I was okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, Living life, I'm sure I've felt all of those things. I just think that's, once again, like our journey and control on the conversation. I've been manic at times. I've been depressed at times. I've been ADHD at times. I feel like you get gifted those experiences so you, like, know the range of what it's being like to be a fucking human being. And then, like, the conversation now is how to manage it in a way so it doesn't disarm your capacity for, like, still living your life. Yeah. I'm always moderating, uh, not to discount you know, living it also, the reality of certain people when you get diagnosed, it's very useful, DSM, blah, 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 about what those chemicals are doing that's real, so real, not to discount that. But I also feel like I realize a lot of the symptoms, especially that becomes triggered with mental health, I always think like if you get a rash, it could be caused by bacteria or a virus or an allergy or like you don't, you don't know what could be, or stress. Mm-hmm. And uh, some of these symptoms that you're talking about, it's why I'm feeling less and less attached about the importance for day-to-day, normal, uh, everyday people who are out there. It's like less and less attached to saying, a doctor told me I had this thing, than it is about saying, like, what are you experiencing, identifying what you're experiencing, honoring the reality of it, and then treating it somehow. Um, And that you can kind of, you know what I'm saying? Like, you don't need to be diagnosed to say exactly what you're saying, to like, experience these and parts at the time i was you know listening to uh i was watching a video just last night about how people lie to their doctors and it's not that they're yeah doing it with the intention of not getting a solve from that they're doing it with the intention is they think they have to filter it in a certain way to make it like understandable for the doctor and yeah. at the end of the day some people can't even afford to go to doctors right and, like you don't have access to the resources yep. or you're stuck or raised in a belief system that doesn't support it for some reason so I think you can't rely on that for being your answer. I think it's the only truth is like we're all going to be depressed at times. We're all going to be happy at times. Yeah. We're all going to be like the spectrum. It's just really accepting that about you and then figuring it out. I think doctors can help. I've never been on a medication. Um, that is the second question. Yeah. It's, uh, medications or therapies or things you might have tried. a shit ton of therapies. Yeah. You know, I was in therapy for two and a half years, two to three times a week. Like talk therapy? Talk therapy. Did you ever try any of the like EMDR or anything? I had a things? friend that I, uh, she does it and I convinced her to do EMDR with me. Mm-hmm. Was a weird experience. I mean, A, I don't know if like your friend should be giving you EMDR, but it was very <laughs> sweet of her because yeah. she's just a good, generous person. But um, it made me feel a little like nauseous and weird we also didn't do it with like a light hmm. panel we did it with like our finger and like the struggle oh, that thing. i've never done true the light panel thing i i think i've learned only very basic one of my talk therapists ran me through some basic exercises with like um i've tried some buzzers and just tapping like self-tapping but like that sort of you know just stimulating your left and right mm-hmm. 
to disrupt your rumination patterns and things like that. Um, yeah. it, help, it has helped me, but I was just... Yeah, I don't... You know, I want to try it again. We keep talking about doing another session. That's going to sure. be more effective and stuff. And also, I don't know if my target memory was great. Because I don't mm. know if when you did it, you were like a target memory that you want to deprogram. No, I honestly... The more I hear about people talk about this kind of stuff, I think I really was just a surface level. I would always... With my therapy sessions and and later when i had this good therapist i felt i really liked i really wanted like practical strategies and tools to take with me into life not just like go to talk you know and so i think she was showing me some of these things which i would use to disrupt uh that was my big fear with therapy why i stopped it i was like this is becoming too intellectual i need to yeah to get out there and like start applying some of this stuff yeah and of course, I crash and burn at times, but sure. other times, like it was still like, oh, okay, a little bit of this is changing the pattern that I haven't gone back since I've been more embracing of like this notion of neuroplasticity and being able to rewrite your wiring and being mm. able to like change your patterning. Yeah. I'm curious what that will do. I've been uh, dipping in the notion of going back pretty seriously, just also to process some of the medical stuff that I was in denial about for a while. Mm. So we'll see, but I, you know, I believe in modalities. I believe yeah. anything from like a sound bath to oh yeah, ayahuasca. How is that for you? Di- you done that? I've done I did. That. I did it twice. It was not super effective for me. Mm. I, I didn't see it as the medicine, but I also, for me, the journey became very much about like me not imbuing. And this is once again the notion of expectation and letting go. Like it's unfair to put that pressure on that medicine. Uh. Just like if you got lithium, it's unfair to put that pressure on that medicine. It's yeah. like, I'm going to put this pressure on a plant that has never met me before, that has existed on the other side of the world, that I'm like trying in Pasadena at somebody's house that uh. I've like <laughs> yeah. got invited to under this precedent of like, it's going to heal you. And I think that's a lot to put into an energetic situation that isn't fair to the situation. <sighs> yeah, that's great. That's so really important to think about. Life changing. I'm glad I tried it. Mm-hmm. It taught me that lesson that it doesn't have to be life changing and these things don't have to be it just like every love does not have to be the great love of your life. Sure. I, so, um, you know, no, that's huge. I, I've never really heard somebody verbalize that specifically before. But as you're saying it, I was just like lighting up. Oh, fuck. Like recognition of myself of that thing. Mm-hmm. Like. Like, oh, I'm going to do mushrooms and it's going to fucking, that'll be it. Because there's all this more and more stuff comes out about like, um, you know, that they do work as interventional level events on blah, blah, blah. And so you get in this head, whatever the thing is, that's going to be the thing that fixes you. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, it's just unfair. You can't place, there's no external one thing that's going to do it. Like the fucking thing is, it's like, it's also fleeting. Like, I come off a psychedelic, I feel like I have every answer in the world for the next 7 to 12 hours. Right. And then it disappears again. Yeah. And I'm not going to do psychedelics that when it disappears to get those 7 to 12 hours, you know? Yeah. But it's like, it's also fleeting. So I just, medicine to me is really <laughs> more about applied continual intention and then like finding something that can be that. Writing for me has become a huge medicine. Yeah. When I was younger, applied hiking. continual intention. <laughs> Dude, I love that. Thank you, sir. Yes, the very coffee good. Coffee finally speaking for me. That is medicine. Applied continual so intention. So it's like writing's become that. Hiking used to be that for a long time. Skiing was that for a bit. Like, you know, when I was younger, I thought I was acting. Like, there's something that just like applies a fulfillment, hmm. and then recognizing that that's like 
a device to make you feel fulfilled and then not abusing it. It's like the other thing. Yeah. Which is like why I got out of therapy because I felt like I was abusing it. Yeah. I've done the same thing. That's good. Um, all right. All right. Good. Three, uh, three is what's something cheesy you find inspiring? Oh my God. Oh my god! I know. Sometimes I say I just. I don't mean to put people. I mean, on there's, the spot a, with there's it, a million and one things. I guess it's also like how you define cheesy, right? Yeah. In totally. that, there's also like some judgment. I don't know. I I think optimism. Yeah. Is totally. And I don't think it's cheesy, but in thinking about it, I feel like so many people think it's cheesy. Yeah. Well, there's. I mean. Um, one thing I think about all the time is there's no such thing as ironic joy, ironic pleasure, I should say. That like if you are enjoying something ironically, you're just enjoying. You're just it. enjoying it. Yeah. So I, that's part of the joke critter. of a question. Yeah. I feel like is like, dude, no, if there's something like, you find, we have to something put the qualifier to allow ourselves to do it. Yeah. I just I I think it's just beautiful to watch somebody allow for the good to happen. Yeah. And I've been so conditioned myself to fight good in myself. Mm. You know, I have a, one of my best friends. She's always like, I just want you to be nice to my friend, Kevin. And I was like, one of the greatest, to you yeah. saying that to you. Yeah. And it's like the greatest thing of all time. And you're like, what are you talking about? I'm yeah. nice. I took myself out for dinner and like, that's so irrelevant to the conversation. <laughs> what she's saying is just like, enjoy these, like there's awesome stuff going around. Just be nice. Like let yourself enjoy it. And that's like the greatest thing. And that's why I was so problematic in relationships because I didn't let myself feel loved. and blah. So like for me, hmm. I feel like it's unbelievably amazing to watch somebody give themselves the privilege of allowing for the op optimistic response to something. Yeah. I, so that I find really encouraging. Was I love that it. Question? Was that's a good question. Yeah. What's the, yeah. Um, the next one is what's something dark about you? Oh, my God. I, yeah, I create narrative in a very, you know, cynical way. Yeah. So I'll always jump to the worst expectation. Um, of like other things and people. Other and things, people. I read stuff in the situations that haven't happened yet. I, and my solution right now is like, I'm, I've gotten really good in my eyes of like changing that internal conversation for me. Yeah. And from now I just try to be like, instead of me creating that narrative, it's just more like, hey, yeah. Just cool to talk about it. Yeah. Just like, you know, letting the conversation open as opposed to me like creating this really terrible door room that I have to walk into. It's just more like, hey. And it's funny to see people's reaction to that because sometimes they don't want to engage because then they have to be accountable to something. Or yeah. they think you're like you have an agenda or there's like not sincerity to that. Right. So, but yeah, I mean, that's something that I've been working really hard my whole life to try to get better at. Just, All right. It can get dark quickly. Yeah. I think that's really good. I think it's just good to know that like, if you have the power to create narratives that are fucked up, like you said, with the optimism thing, you can also create one that, you know, I think the, I think the risk reward is scarier from a survival standpoint. Cause you're like, well, if I, if I create a story where the people have the worst intentions, and I prepare for that eventuality. Well, at least I'm prepared for that. Yeah. Um, so but it makes then, sense that we do yeah. it, but I think it's cool to know you changes. have the power to do the opposite also. Yeah, I mean, nothing changes. I mean, cancer doesn't get cured. Like, we don't invent the hydrogen car. We don't, like, 
mm-hmm. stop war if like that's the way you approach it. So yeah, I can't say that it's not something that we just share as part of the human condition, which I think we very much do. It's yeah. like, and also days are you mostly get faced with bad news in a day. Sure. Like you don't, especially win the lo- these days. Yeah. You don't win the lottery every five seconds. You don't, like- if it bleeds, it leads. <laughs> they say, so yes, that that's my, my darkness, my dark side. Okay. Um, all right. Then the next one is what's the last gorgeous thing you saw? I saw a really great smile the other day. Oh yeah. All right. Awesome. And it came from such a genuinely amazing place. And that made me like, and that tied into like the optimism thing. And it was just like, you know, seeing somebody just love life is like such a cool thing. Oh yeah. And then there's a super bloom shit going on right now that'll probably change my opinion. If you speak to me next week after I see some of them flowers. Well, you said that I just thought of my brother's dog. I think dogs have that effect. Like to just see something and being in joy. Yes. Yeah. The most incredible dog has just recently entered my life, and I'm, like, obsessed with her. Oh, yeah? And she's every type of dog I never thought I'd be obsessed with. She's, like, small. Yeah. And she's barky, but she's just, like, the most beautiful creature. Like, the face is yeah. just, like, undeniably gorgeous. <laughs> That's so funny. I know. I just want to chew her. <laughs> yeah, cute aggression. They exactly. call it cute aggression. Cute, cute aggression. Chew that snout. Um, all right, the very last one is the "Don't Kill Yourself" list. As I, as people who listen know, I, I made this when I was very dark place. It's a list of things that are uh, in a subjective reality, things you find objectively good reasons to keep living. I always start with coffee, sandwiches, and lavender soap. What, you, what would you put on a "Don't Kill Yourself" list? Um, music. I think yeah. like an unbelievably awesome music experience is always life-changing for me do you have any good uh recent any artists or anything you've been listening to recently you'd recommend um there's been a ton but like the ones that i keep naturally going back to are combinations of nostalgia and sort of like Mm. my programming but in a a really positive way yeah like you know i am a deadhead so i will constantly listen to variations on that um like jam band kind of stuff yeah i mean i stopped listening to other jam bands but there's something about the dead and you know i always refer to it as like it's melancholy beauty beauty like mm-hmm. to me that's like what made them special is yeah. like they had these gorgeous refrains in there that were sort of slightly sad but always very optimistic once yeah. again which was like the beast of the lead person jerry who was like this very optimistic person with this dark heroin using side so yeah um, that makes me want to re uh connect try that stuff again a bit because i definitely yeah. grew up weird weirdly like when i was in junior high we just like loved classic rock and i think it had to do with like everyone's dads and stuff yeah, um and recently i my buddy and i were just hanging out and doing stuff at the house one night and we were we started listening to the doors again i had never and it came up because I was joking about like what goth is, trying to define goth, yeah, yeah. and I was like, and um, I was googling about it on the Wikipedia. They say like they think uh, Doors, the Doors are considered like the first goth band, the band that started goth. And I was like, what? All right, let's go try it. Out. And I was like, it just felt like I'd never listened to it before. Yeah. I was like, oh yeah, yeah. fuck, this what is an interesting filter to look at it through. And just how weird it was. Like I was like, dude, he just speaking this like spoken word with the, it was just so and the and the the sparseness of the production yeah. like how clean the percussion mm-hmm. sounds and how weird that is uh compared to like today's production um so anyway that makes me want to like check out that yeah, again and, but, because you know like but then that still is completely tempered with like 
I think Cardi B's album last year was like one of the greatest pop sure, experiences yeah. in my past five years. And I'll throw that on all the time. I threw Taylor Swift on the other end of the fucking yeah. car. So, I mean, but to me, music is like film or all these other creative things that I, I feel a lot of passion and intention about. It's like, it's always for me about that emotional connection. It's like when somebody asks you, what's your favorite movie? I was never able yeah. to make that, give that answer because sometimes it's this, sometimes it's this. Yeah. I haven't discovered this one yet, which eventually became it. And it's like, it's all about that emotional sin and what it does. So like yeah. for me, music is always um, like this, this constant part of discovery. But yeah, I mean like I've been listening, you know, everything from the dead to phosphorescence to like, Biggie is always popping back yeah. up recently on shit. I've been going back to old school hip hop. Yeah. Eric B and Rakim. Yeah. The greatest original fucking bad boys ever. Um, so it just depends on the mood. Music's very funny too, and it's like I just it's such a stoner dumb thought that I have about it, but I'm like I, I like forget about it sometimes and then like I will go like turn it on to work out to one day or something and I'd be like, Oh my god, music's amazing. How am I living without it? <laughs> yeah, it's like and this magic spell. Yeah, and it's the most linear sort of connection right you put yeah. it on it makes you feel good you dance or you sing along and it touches so many people i was doing a mathematical i was trying to sing out with these mathematicians the other night and i was like okay they were talking about different things to focus on for their thesis and i was like this is what i want i want you to come up with a the a theorem that lets me know how music has populated itself through our social consciousness mm -hmm. and like what does that mean i was like we're at this bar and uh, dear prudence comes on I was like, how many times do you think people, or how many times do you think the witnessing of Dear Prudence has happened mm. in humanity? Yeah. And I was like, that's what I want you to figure out, because like to me, that is the power of what music can do. Right. I've heard Dear Prudence at least a thousand times. Yeah. I think that's conservative. You've probably heard Dear Prudence at least a thousand times. Right. There was 200 people that night that heard Dear Prudence and added that to their database. Yeah. And then add that over the 50, 60 some odd years that that song has been out. Right. And like, to me, the notion of that music has that socialization and the ability to sort of transcend time, space, community, yeah. cultures, all those different, now technology is like fucking fascinating. I agree. So yes, music is like one of the top things. Dancing's another. Food, the process of food, I think, is yeah. magnificent. Yeah, Pro the process of food is. I go back to uh, still as like one of my earliest unconscious coping strategies with any kind of. Uh, because what do we say? The way we said earlier, like a way to like um, break your uh, physical cycle of depression mm -hmm. or anxiety or the, the looping that happens, mm -hmm. um, rumination or whatever. Uh, yeah, just it was a thing to give my hands something to do. Mm -hmm. I still go back to like if you're in a really fucking bad slump and don't know what, uh, something that works for me is like sometimes enough that I would recommend it. Pick a big recipe, something that takes a long time, like a stew or something is good. Yeah, yeah. Something that takes a lot of cutting and chopping and prep. Um, and that will result in something delicious. I agree. And we, we share that sort of passion for that process. Yeah. You know, and before I wanted to embrace film as like the way to sort of dialogue, I wanted to be a chef. Like those were the two leading things. And I applied wow. to film school and I applied to the Culinary Institute in uh, NorCal. And I was like, if I don't get into film school, I'll go to the CIA. That's amazing. And I got into film school and I was like, okay, I guess that's not, but like before that I was a sous chef. Like, so I like, didn't know I, that. I don't yeah. think we ever talked about that. I have no that's clue. A, yeah, that is definitely, I definitely feel there's a very strong parallel. I always say, I think cooks, artists, and priests, you're all in the same business. It's nourishment. <laughs> I love that. Now I'm going to use that. But it's also, yeah, it's also just like, 
it's there's a beautiful notion of like accomplishment and reward that goes in that whole dialogue. Oh yeah. You're working, oh, yeah. you're doing something, and like you said, at the end of it, something tasty comes out of right. it. It's like there is reward for process. When I was a butcher, it was amazing when you're in like the artisan food world, how many people you meet were like had who studied sculpture, studied creative writing, and now yeah. they're here cutting meat. And um I really think there's something you this the drive is the same. The frustration with art of it being esoteric, being hard to figure out, you don't know what connects with people, what won't, and blah, 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 blah. But you give somebody something just delicious. And and everybody can have a dialogue about it. Yeah. You have a dinner party, and if you're still prepping stuff, that's where the dinner party goes. They yes. come into the kitchen, they offer to dice, they're tasting stuff, that's, they're recommending a different Parmesan. Yes. Like, and what I find interesting about food, which is magnificent, and it's like, I think that, yeah. A true genius in a craft is somebody who can move the conversation of that craft forward. Yeah. And, you know, it happened with television recently. Mm. Hasn't happened, in my opinion, with film hugely or as effectively mm. or with as much mass intention as it did in like the 60s and 70s. Sure. But food is having this unbelievable like artistic renaissance and like celebration for it as being like a populist art form. Yeah. And as a result, so much energy and artists are going into it. Yeah. That I think would have gone to other things in like the fifties or sixties or if it's like 1600 France, they're picking up the novel. Oh yeah. And it's magnificent to see what that does Hmm. for like leading back towards like the dear prudence thing, like the socialization of like community and like art. Yeah. It's like everybody knows what, not everybody, but a lot of people know what pancetta is right. as opposed to like bacon. Like a lot of people know what a roux is as opposed yeah. to just like, so these conversations of like, it just brings people together in this wonderfully social way. Yeah. So that's the other And one that's thing. truly universal. You eat something that tastes good and you're just like, well. It's the, and you can't argue it yeah. unless you don't like cilantro. <laughs> one of those fucking people. It's true. But then that's the thing of the tomatoes is like, if you're one of these people, you just work at it. Yeah. And I used to not like cilantro. And Dude, I love it now. I can't do that with pesto. That's so much fucking killer. Pesto? I know. You'll I, get there. It's I, so fucking good. Uh, I don't know Basil what it and is. Parmesan and some nuts. It's fucking awesome. I think it's the pine nuts. I think it's the pine they nuts. They might be. Um, do I have to come up with another one? How nope. You're all good. Cool. You're all good. That was awesome. Awesome. We went dude. long. But I mean, I'm not surprised. This <laughs> Sorry, is delight. Sorry, buddy. Sorry. I had some no, coffee. I had some coffee. It's my fucking fault. I was you like, I'm no, trying actually, to... in part of reprogramming, I'm not sorry. Thank you for allowing me the Thank extra you. time. This was a delight. No, I. This is how they all used to be. And then I started to be like, I should maybe... Don't put me in a box! Oh, fuck that. Yeah, fuck the box thing. Yeah. I'm a fun. mystery sleeper. Thanks for hanging out with us, y'all, for the last couple hours. Do you want anybody to find you online anywhere? I, I mean, my Instagram handle is Rasta Leroy. I don't really do much online. On occasion, I post to that. But yeah. I'll have some content that'll be coming out shortly that you guys are hopefully will enjoy. And I'll, I'll put it through other people cool. that are much more active in disseminating yeah, <laughs> awareness. I, I don't think... I think the nature of this, uh, the community that listens to this, isn't like a super like, oh, uh, follow me. So I don't know, but I always like to like. No, put it I out appreciate there. the offer. I, I mean, know. I just think it's fun to talk about this shit. So I support yeah. that notion of the community. Thank you. This is really wonderful. Thank Thanks, you for doing buddy. this. All right, I'm going to stop it now. Bye, guys. Talk to you later. Bye. Thank you again for listening to my good, bad brain. If you would like to support the podcast, go to patreon.com slash my good, bad brain. Uh, you can throw some dough at us and, uh, there's a couple little reward options up there, um, of little creations from my good brain to yours, if you so desire. And, um, that's it. Leave us reviews if you like it too. Self-care, hydrate, 
Be well. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.